and bone marrow registry. And late in the, in the morning, we'll have an RH Bopello Limited. And the last one will be a presentation by Health Products Association of Southern Africa. Uh, honorable members, you would probably note that uh, it's not a real short day. We will indulge you again to come and log in at, at five to start a meeting with the minister, Minister Kupai Ngobane, on the update of the department's work. Uh, may I then uh, thank you very much, Ms. Machalamba, invite uh, the leadership from the South African Bone Marrow Registry, who will, I think, among other things, educate us uh, what is the Bone Marrow Registry, is a, is a story where maybe we can also donate. They have a big bone marrow bank where we can deposit our bone marrow to have them. And then they will indicate to us uh, what they will be their comments in relation to the uh, national health insurance. Up to you, leadership, introduce yourself and then start. You will have 45 minutes to make your presentations. Thereafter, honorable members will interact with your presentation and they will come back again to clarify some of the questions that they will have raised with you. Thank you very much. The opportunity now is granted to you. Thank you very much, Mr. Glomo. Um, I'm Dr. Ingram. I'm Charlotte Ingram from the South African Bone Marrow Registry. And with me, I have my Deputy Director, Jane Ward, so that if there are any operational questions, she would be able to assist with those. Um, I would like to share my screen just to do the presentation. How do you do that? Oops. Just see if you can see it. Okay, I've got to go there, I think. Okay, I'm just checking. Can you see the presentation? I'll put it into presentation mode. Yes, it is still on the presentation mode. Maybe you can go on a slide mode now. We can see it. Thanks, Dr. There Thank you. Go. you. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. So um, we wanted, we requested to give some input on the NHI bill uh, to the Parliamentary Portfolio Committee. And that was because um, a lot of people are not actually aware of what the South African bone marrow actually does. Um, we are reimbursed by medical aids currently. Um, and we wanted to, we couldn't see anything in the NHI framework that indicated this would be ongoing. Um, so I will just take you through, um, first of all, our governance structure. We have very strict governance structure. We have a board where there is financial, um, business economics, legal uh, representation. Um, and there's also a patient and a donor that has actually donated stem cells on our board. The, we also have a medical and ethical review panel. We have a clinical governance committee. And we have a finance and risk committee. Um, there's myself as the medical director and the CEO, and we have a quality accreditation officer. And I particularly mention this because the SABMR is the only um, qualified and accredited registry by the World Marrow Donor Association in Africa, in fact, and also the largest registry. Um, we have a deputy director who looks after our patient services and our donor services and also donor recruitment. Um, 
And we also have a sustainability and a national operations head. As you can understand, for donor recruitment, we are not reimbursed at all for the donors, and they can cost us up to about 1,500 per donor to actually register a donor. So that's important that we have a sustainability manager, and then we have a financial accountant. I should also just say, as an organization, we are not for profit organization registered and not uh, a non-profit company, and above all, we are a public benefit organization. So the SAPMR was, has been supporting South African patients since its inception in 1991, and this year will be the 30th year that it's been in existence. So this is not a new organization. All South African patients in need of a stem cell transplant transplantation who do not have a matched sibling, so in other words, a matched family donor that can donate to them. And I must say that's um, only about 30% of people will have that. The other 70% in need of a bone marrow transplant are going to rely on the registry to find them an unmatched, a matched donor, but an unrelated donor. Um, we've grown with all the transplant centers and our organization is run by Health Professions Council uh, of South Africa's registered staff. We search for the donors on our own database initially, which is close to 74,000, which is very small compared to the world. Because we are a World Marrow Donor Accredited Association, we have access to all the donors in the world, and that is 39 million. Now, remembering that the chance is one in a hundred thousand, and for some of our mixed um, race people and the mixed ethnicity and diversity we see in South Africa, it may actually go up to one in 4.5 million sometimes. So it is so important that we build our own registry and that we get more ethnic representation um, of the South African population for us to be able to assist all the patients. Um, SABMR conducts highly complex searches. We have highly, um, very complicated software where we will input the HLA typing of the patient together and then look for a match in all of these donors. And we help people with life-threatening blood diseases such as leukemia, immune disorders and other blood disorders. The services of SABMR are essential in providing hemopoietic stem cells from matched unrelated donors. Uh, we also work continuously to increase donor information, which will ultimately be in the best interest of the recipient and the patient. And I must just say, we work in very similar ways to blood, the blood transfusion services in that we, we educate our donors. We, we discuss with them what it, how important it is for them to live a healthy lifestyle. So it has a benefit from that point of view as well. Um, so we've been there 30 years. We're the largest and only WMDA accredited stem cell donor registry in Africa. Uh, we have a sustained service delivery to patients and clinicians, even during COVID. And here, I just want to thank the Department of Health, the Department of Trade and Industry, and our Port Health authorities in helping us get the stem cells in and out of the country because sometimes we have a donor for somebody in another country and sometimes they may have a donor for a south african patient and we need to, it's if this is a life-saving therapy and, and therefore it becomes very important to be able to continue to provide it what we also do is for other countries where 
we might have their siblings. So you might find there's a patient in the UK or the US and their siblings are living in South Africa. We help then as well with the matching and make sure they are a match and the collection and the, of the stem cells and the transportation through to that patient. We have identified more than 1,500 suitable donors and facilitated over 550 stem cell transplants in South Africa to date. We also have bioethics approval, mainly for our consent forms and on the processes that we work through from the bioethics committee. Just a quick, I'll take you through two quick slides just to explain how it works and where we fit in. So the SABMR basically sits in the middle. We have international registries we communicate with in case we have a donor for them or they have a donor for us. We have the transplant centers that will identify patients in need of a transplant. They will look at the siblings first. If there is no sibling match, they will then contact us and we will start to do the preliminary search. Once we've done a preliminary search and we can see there are some donors that might be appropriate for that patient, they will, the doctor will activate the search and we will then start actually calling in the donors to test them at what we call high resolution which is is just another level a more intense level of HLA typing to make sure that we haven't got any mismatches for that because if it's a mismatch you can either get rejection of the graft or you could the graft may not even take or you can get graft versus host disease where the actual graft will attack the person's tissues. So it's very important that we do match them. And at the last, um, after the extended typing, we will then send the report to the doctor and they will then ask us, tell us which donor they would like us to recruit. And we will make sure that the donor is available. We will communicate with the international registry if that's necessary. Otherwise, we communicate ourselves with our own donors and make sure they are ready to actually donate stem cells. And that really is, oh, and I should just mention, the registry actually follows up our donors for 10 years. Because remember, you can only donate stem cells once in a lifetime. We will collect, do a second collection, but we, uh, we keep you for that patient, that specific patient, in case that patient may need a retransplant. So some of the concerns we had a little bit around the NHR bill explicitly states that there are various provisions are to give effect to the right of access to healthcare to all sections as per section 271A of the constitution, as well as the rights of children and to basic health care. Um, so these themes are therefore aimed to providing social securities and by achievement to correct past injustices and inequalities, improving human life and the need to improve their quality of life. So some of the things that we may just be concerned about is the aspects of transition the relationship between private and state sector, and how will the reimbursement for the type of service that we are delivering be done. Under the current le legislation, there's a risk pooling by medical schemes for, for um, primary medical benefits and other conditions, or PMBs as we often refer to. The risk pooling is aimed at covering persons and not excluding them financially when they are in need of this and emergency care. 
how will this work in the state? We're not sure how will it work with NHR. We would just like, you know, a little bit more information around how it works and what we perhaps need to do to get there. Um, it is included as a, a PMBs are included uh, under the treatment transplant, should I say, is considered a part of the PMB for the treatment of acute leukemias, other genetic disorders, sickle cell disease, for example, sometimes a thalassemia, um, and also SCID, which is an immune deficiency disease in babies, um, CLL, if it's if there's relapse, recurrent relapse of the CLL, um, and so it is a PMB. It will mean, which is why the medical aids do reimburse us. Um, it will mean that equal treatment sometimes, though, might not mean in reality, and I'm sure you face this in many conditions. Because uh, Dr. The Ingram, Dr. Yes. Ingram uh, sorry yes. to disturb you, maybe so that uh, for all members you unpack this term PMB. Uh, just A primary know. medical benefit, it's the... Um, it's the benefits that are covered where it could be life-saving and there's a list of them and they are available on the Department of Health. I think they're even available on the website and there's a PMB book as well. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. If, if anybody wants me to share, you know, the list of uh, leukemias, I can, you know, the actual conditions in which it would be considered a PMB. Remember, there are standards. In some, in some instances, a, a transplant may not be a PMB if it's not being done for the correct reasons. Because remember, this is a life-saving, but it's also a treatment that is quite risky sometimes. And so you want to make sure... Can you hear me? Uh, yes, we can. Oh, no, uh, sorry, no. I thought maybe you lost me, but I'm just checking that you are still with me. Yes. Yeah, we've got a bad storm. I'm in Cape Town, so we've got a bad storm here. So sometimes the Wi-Fi does break up in our office. So I will just, I'm at Grotesky Hospital. So yeah, you can probably understand that. Um, so please just send us a chat or do something if you can't hear me. And then some of the other condition reasons we were concerned um, is that there's no indication, as I said, if bone marrow will be covered. Um, as previously published, NHR benefits framework does not indicate this. The SABMR is committed to accessing resources which will reduce the time to find such a match. These patients are faced with huge financial constraints due to the high cost relating to these procedures and their burden will be increased should they be required to fund the NHR fund from a portion of their taxable earnings. So it's very hard for these patients to pay for their own transplants without funding for it. It is unclear what the definition of quality health surface benefits are. And I think I raised that because the NHI claims to prioritize services to those populations most in need, which would surely be the case for patients in need of bone marrow transplant. However, there's no indication if the bone marrow transplantation will be covered 
at all by the fund as the previously published NHR framework did not indicate this. And the section 9A of the bill states that the quality health service benefits should be received. It is unclear. We weren't sure what exactly is meant by quality health service benefits. As mentioned, SAVMR is tasked with highly specialized matching related to bone marrow transplant to ensure that the patients receive quality health care. It is, not, it is also not clear from the definitions of health services where it bears the meaning as defined in Section 1 of the National Health Act. And is it, does it relate back to the National Health Act of 2003? And what we were a little bit concerned about was it speaks of health establishments or healthcare provider. And perhaps that's a question we have for you, is where would you see the registry being, an establishment or a healthcare provider? And then if, if we are a healthcare provider, how do we get certification? Um, and, and, you know, perhaps we could get some guidelines on that. And I think, it, I think that I've mentioned point nine, in order to ultimately provide, provide complete health service for members of the fund, it may be necessary to utilize the service of the SPR. You can't do a bone marrow transplant in a patient who does not have a related donor without the registry to find that donor. So, so we are an essential part of the whole service. And I'm going to conclude. So, and I'm just going to say we are more than willing to engage with the National Department of Health should any of the particulars relating to our services, which provide complete quality health care um, for the provision of matched unrelated donors, for fund members requiring the bone marrow transplantation. And so if there's anything maybe that is unclear, we're very happy, um, you know, to sit with the task team if it needs to be um, looked at in more detail, whatever needs to happen, because we would really like to be able to continue providing this essential service for South African patients. And I think that's all I've got to say for now. And I don't know if there are any comments or questions. <laughs> yes, Dr. Ingram, there would be questions and comments. Um, uh, I think uh, there are members, I would like them to raise their hands. I will, let me just check if there are uh, hands that have come through. Uh, let me see. Oh, goodness. Good morning, uh, please. Okay. Let's start with the uh, Honorable. Who, uh, okay. People were thanking our secretary for sending the document, but I have not seen the hands. Uh, while they are raising their hands, it would be happy. I would be happy, Miss. Uh, Dr. Ingram, to just guide me, I'll come to, I'll come to you, I'll come to you, ma'am, I'll come to you now. Uh, just to educate us a bit, as you start, uh, some of the members in this platform are blood donors. Now, when I donate, I go out, I give, and I go out. Now, does it work out like that on a transplant? Do you only, because you don't wait for someone to match your blood donation, you just give and they... They, they are happy to have that. So with the bone marrow transplant, you only take from those who have meshed and they, there's a, a, ready, a recipient ready, or you also do have a, a bone marrow bank, uh, but then you can answer when you start answering other questions. Honorable Ismail, you are number one. Any other member? 
Honorable Kela. I see the hand on the platform. Honorable Munyai, number three. Uh, let me just check. Any other member would like to ask? Me, Chair. Honorable Jacobs. Honorable Dr. Jacobs. Yes, uh, raise your names again here if I don't see your hand on the platform. Any other member? So we'll go with the in that order. First one, Honorable Ismail, followed by Honorable Kela. The third will be Honorable Munyai. The fourth will be Honorable Dr. Jacobs. <clears throat> if no other member comes in, I'll be number five. Thank you. In that order, members just uh, start and then the other one will follow uh, after the other. Thanks. Good morning, Chen. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for the presentation and thank you for the very good work that you are doing. I just have a few clarity-seeking questions, please. In slide 7.4, you mentioned that equal treatment will mean, in reality, a higher cost when a specific situation is concerned. Can you please elaborate on this point? Point number two, my second question. Are you saying it will, in fact, potentially lead to a barrier of access for this service? Please clarify for me. Thank you, Chair. My apologies, I didn't quite hear the last bit of the second question. Chair, if I may, are you saying it will in fact potentially lead to a barrier of access for this service? Please, can you clarify for us? Uh, good morning. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Uh, let me also welcome the presentation. Uh, Dr. Ikrem, you mentioned that there is a currently risk pooling within the medical schemes environment. What are your thoughts about the fragmentation of the current risk pools within the medical schemes in the public sector and in between the medical schemes and the public sector? In your view, do you think the current health financing system is equitable and efficient. Thank you. Good morning, Honorable Chair. And my question is very simple. You have raised a concern that there's no indication that bone marrow transplantation will be covered at all by the fund. Are you aware that NHI benefits will be will defined and determined by the Benefits Advisory Committee as indicated in section 24 of the bill. The membership of the Benefits Advisory Committee will, be, will uh, consist of technical experts in, med in medicine amongst others. I think it's important that you, you know, if you look at the section of uh, 24 of the bill, you, you will see what, I, what, I'm, what I've raised and, and be able to respond to it. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson, and thank you, Dr. Ingram, for the presentation this morning. I have two questions for you. The one is whether you had noted as the SAMBR uh, that in the preamble of the bill, and, uh, its objects are to ensure financial protection from costs of healthcare um, and to provide access to quality healthcare by pooling of, uh, of funding and risk. Uh, 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 pre proposed. 
And then would you consider this as addressing the requirement to risk pools, but in a much bigger risk pool for 59 million people instead of the PMBs, which are pooling only for 8.5 million people? And my second question would be on the definition of service providers and uh, whether the services provided by SAMBR uh, are in the sphere of diagnostics or of treatment. Thank you, Jefferson. Thank you very much. Uh, let me also thank you, Dr. Ingram, and whoever is here with you for educating us about things that you do and the work that you continue to do in the country and internationally. I, my question is related to what was asked by Honorable Munyai, but is based on a different section in the bill. Uh, I do appreciate that uh, a lot of other, or first let me indicate that the Department of Health is currently here, and I think you are correct. Please do continue to engage them because we are providing a highly specialized service in the community. It's not like a flu tablets or a, a antiviral treatment. So it is probably a complex thing. So your continued engagement with the Department of Health will actually be of great assistance. If you look on section 33 of the bill, where it touches on issues related to medical aids and medical schemes, it does give a bit of comfort that during this period where there's going to be transition as we move towards a full NHI, they will actually have that period uh, services should continue to be covered and the medical aid will then still to be operational as we do that. But there's also an implementation, that's why it talks about later on playing a complementary role. Uh, again, related to this committee that uh, Honorable Munyai was raising, the Benefits Advisory Committee, uh, it would be important to indicate going forward where will this uh, fit in this service that will actually be uh, necessary for those specific persons. I've always given this <clears throat> during the time when I'm asked to talk about the NHI and the benefits to say, look, uh, it is not really conclusive on the bill what will and will not be covered uh, on the aspect. And uh, just to make a, a wide example, I always say, if I am interested on the liposuction and I'm told that uh, it is not covered, uh, I either still have to go and speak and write to the authorities, but I think liposuction is, uh, is, is to be put in place. I always say, I would probably think it is much better to buy you a pair of shoes, running shoes, and uh, and run and reduce the the fat than maybe give uh, uh, to a liposuction as part of the service to be provided. So I, I think maybe what the bill is saying is probably not conclusive, but will will indicate comprehensive clinical appropriately and evidence based services that will be determined by that committee to advise. So it may not be spelling out bone marrow transplant now, but uh, I don't know whether maybe you do uh, share that on session 33, there's an open window there for committee members who are experts to continue supporting and giving their comments and advice as the finalization of the bill comes to fruition. Uh, let me then give it back to you to hear your responses, thanks. 
Um, thank you, Dr. Kloma. I should just say thank you for also referring us back to Section 33 because that does give us not just some hope but a way that we can approach the, the issue. Um, you asked, I think you asked the question about whether we have a bank or whether these stem cells are only collected if the donor is a match. So we we recruit all the donors so that we can HLA type them right at the beginning. The HLA typing is then held in a database, which is like a bank in a way. And when we get a patient request, we match it to that. We still then have to go back to the donor that matches and prepare the donor to donate stem cells. It's similar to donating blood now. Um, we use an apheresis machine, uh, similar to the way you would donate platelets. It takes four to six hours of being on the machine. We usually do uh, admit the donor overnight just to make sure that they don't have any complications, make sure they're okay. The needle goes in one arm, out the other arm. The blood goes into, we give them GCSF, which is a stimulator of the stem cells to make them come away from the bone marrow into the peripheral blood for five days. And then we do the collection. Um, and the, the blood goes through the machine, it is separated out, and only the stem cells are kept for the patient. Um, we do have a tight timeline. If they're fresh and we don't cryopreserve them, the max, we like to get them to the patient within 48 hours, and that's why we're always um, a little bit tight on time and why we do need to communicate on the transport, logistics, and all those issues. So, so that's how it works. Once you've donated those stem cells, as I said, you will remain on the registry but not be available for other patients, just in case that patient, the graft doesn't work, um, because if the graft doesn't work, they may die. Um, this is a life-saving initiative. And then we will recollect those stem, the stem cells again to give the patient. So that's how it works. But once you've donated once, we remove you. And that's why it's so difficult to keep our registry growing um, because just natural attrition, the older you get, we also take you off the registry at 60. So we don't let you donate after 60. Um, so you can imagine why it's so hard to keep up, keep on recruiting donors and to maintain a database. I think, does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, no, no, it does. Just tackle all of them, Dr. Ingram, uh, all the other okay. members. All right. Yeah. Then the higher cost. So when this happens is... It depends where the donor is as to how much it's going to cost. The registry works on a cost recovery basis. So we will only put through the charges that we have been charged. So, for example, if it's a local donor, obviously the flight to bring the donor down for the collection is a lot less than if it's an international donor. And that's why we spoke about international, where the flight will be much more. And also each registry has their own costing and that registry will have a price to charge for their stem cells to us. And we will have to pay that to get stem cells. So, so I hope that explains why there is a variance. I think was a Dr. Ismail that asked, there was another question that you asked, um, will it affect the equality of services? 
No, it doesn't at the moment, and I will explain why. Um, state will not pay for an unrelated donor for a patient. So we have a patient assistance fund, which we've raised with our own funding. And if we get a case that is reviewed by our medical and ethics review panel as a real case that needs, we will actually cover the costs of getting that donor um, and getting those cells to the patient. And the patient will be transplanted then in state. And this is where I come to, there is inequalities now because not all patients can afford to pay for themselves. Uh, medical aid, obviously they don't have medical aid state patients, um, whereas medical aid would normally cover the cost. Then a reimbursement by medical schemes. So we, we do have agreements in place with the medical schemes and we work largely on a cost recovery basis, as I said, and every year we look at our costings. We base it on an activity-based costing because we obviously need very highly technical and qualified staff to be able to do the matching, to interpret the results. And I think that question was also asked about whether this is diagnostic. So it's diagnostic in some ways, um, in that we do interpret the HLA typing result, but we don't per se do the testing. The testing has to be done in an FE accredited lab. So for that last lot of testing, we have to send it to Leiden. Um, so that is costly. If our own labs could do it, it would be so much better. Um, and then before that, we'll use a local lab, but they charge us for the testing. Uh, Cross-subsidization. We spoke a little bit about that and, and splitting the risk. I think we all know that that's one way that the medical aids, they might, uh, people pay the same amount of insurance, but they might cost more than somebody. And you will find that your younger people are probably not getting as ill or not getting the conditions. Um, and, and I think that's where, where the cross-subsidization probably comes in there. I'm not sure how NHI, and, and you referred to, I think it was a 24A. Maybe you could explain that a little bit to me. I haven't got it right in front of me now uh, around that question. Um, if there's anything else maybe that you would like to know around that. Or maybe the patient assistance fund, the fact that we run that. I, you know, does in a way is because with the medical aids, if they pay us, we we try and use some of the whatever we make a little bit on on that side. We will use towards our patient assistance. We not we are not for profit company, um, and definitely also where, where else we'll use it is for um, building the registry. Um, so, so that that's how that all works. And have I missed anything out? I think Jane is just passing me a question. Uh, I should also just say that's what Jane's just made a note. Some of the medical aids um, will not cover either. And those private patients will sometimes contact us to see if we can help them. 
is it, uh, I'm not sure if it's Dr. Hasina Ismail. Do, do you have another question? Chair, um, may I? Okay, let me just check. Any other member with a follow-up? Uh, Honorable Ismail, you are one. Any other member? Honorable Munyai. Honorable Munyai, number two. Okay, that's it. Okay, start Honorable Ismail. Thank you, Chair. Um, and I just want uh, a point of clarity, maybe a further clarity, um, because I don't think you really understood my first question. Um, so I'm just going to, you know, put it into a, a more clarity-seeking question, which maybe, you know, you'll get the gist of what I'm trying to ask. Do you feel the service will be adequately, adequately covered by the NHI, or will there still be a need for a fund to raise money for the service? So essentially what I'm asking is, do you think the NHI bill is going to be adequately covering what you um, need as an entity? Thank you, Chair. Honorable Munyai. Honorable Chair, I'm just asking, re-asking my question again as a follow-up because it was not answered. I'll be very slow, uh, Dr. Ingram. Uh, you, you, you raise a concern that there is no indication that bone marrow transport, tra transplantation will cover at all by the fund. Are you aware that NHI benefits will be defined and determined by the Benefits Advisory Committee as indicated in section 24 of the bill. That is the question. And again, the membership of the Benefits Advisory Committee will consist of technical experts in medicine, amongst others, which means if you are a technical expert, you will not be excluded. I just want to get that understanding because uh, so that you know, my question don't remain unanswered. Thank you, Dr. Ingram. Thank you. So I think the um, the question you ask is is a good one. Um, in that we know that transplant per se is covered for certain conditions. The problem why we are here is to explain to you that you may not be aware of what it costs to find an unrelated donor, so a matched unrelated donor. And I think that that is the point we're making, that perhaps the NHI has to consider that. Yeah, no, 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 go to Honorable Ismail's question. You remember when I asked mine, I said it's very related to the one of Honorable Munyai to say, and he actually says, uh, Certain aspects will be not will not be left out in that benefits advisory committee to advise and come in, and that is why also one would commend you to continue engaging with the Department of Health uh, in terms of those processes because uh, uh, it may not be true that all expertise will be within the department. So some of these expertise will then be com will will complete that type of a, a committee. Uh, that's why my question and that of all of them are very closely related. Can you uh, maybe comment on the question raised by uh, Honorable Ismail? Yes. So um, what I'm saying is that if I get a donor from the U.S., for example, it can cost up to 900,000 rand. If I get a donor locally, it can cost 
250 to 350,000. So there's a huge difference in the price, but it doesn't relate to the quality of the service or the service. It purely relates to the cost of getting those cells. And, and we want to know, will the NHR at least subsidize part of these costs? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, those are some of the questions, Honorable Dr. Ingram, that I think the, we are noting, uh, but we can also on our own interact with the department. Don't hesitate to continue engaging the department. Like I indicated that your services is a highly complicated, complex one. Recording stopped. Yeah, so do engage continuously with the department. Recording we in will, progress. We will also take into consideration the points you raised and then take it from there. Do you have any comments, uh, closing comments from your side or any of the members that you is accompanying you? I think just to say thank you for giving us time to talk to you. Um, I appreciate your time and I appreciate this forum where you openly discuss it. I had one question for you. Um, I know it's the Office of Health Standards that has to do certification. Um, we're slightly different to a hospital in the type of service we, we provide. Would we still, should we still go through the Office of Health Standards for the certification or how would it work for us? <laughs> okay, uh, check with your sister organization, Blood Bank, uh, South African Blood Service. I don't know what's the story, but also there's a question that is probably going to be best answered by the department themselves as to do they extend the service of the Office of the Health Standard Compliance to cover your services too. Uh, we may not, mm. we, if we do find an answer, we'll still have to ask them ourselves, but uh, uh, you could also directly ask the department also. Thank you for that. Okay, if there's no other question from uh, honorable, uh, from the members, all of them, uh, and uh, Dr. Ingram has answered all our questions, and she also has an answer, a question that we are not able to answer now, but we'll forward it to the department. And also she could answer, she could ask herself directly. We then want to bring this uh, uh, discussion to a close. Thank you very much for coming in to be engaging with us, educating us on certain things that some of us were not aware of. Uh, you are then released. Thank you much and have a good day. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Honorable members, we'll take a 10 minutes break while we check if uh, the Irish Mopello can be coming in earlier than the time slot. Uh, 10 minutes break on our, so we will reconvene. Sorry, Sorry, Chair. They are already on the platform. <laughs> yeah, no, okay, let me tell you a story. As soon as I said we take a 10 minutes break, I saw one honorable member who I won't give his name here on the public platform uh, saying to me, good job for taking a break. Let us take the break nevertheless, at least two, until five past 11. Uh, we'll then start with the Irish Mopello. They could then start putting their information there. Members, just a coffee break, make a cup of coffee, come back, uh, including that member who wants to do a cup of coffee and something else. Don't do that other thing. Just coffee and come back. <laughs> Thank you, honorable members. Up to five past 11. Thanks.
Recording stopped. Recording in progress. Okay, okay, let us welcome the RH Bopello Limited to this platform who were already logged in 10 minutes ago. Uh, we welcome you and we give you 45 minutes to interact with the Portfolio Committee of Health on your presentation on the NHI. 
You will have 45 minutes to make your presentation and the honorable members will interact with you on clarity seeking questions and then you'll come back to clarify those questions. Your 45 minutes starts now with your introductions. Uh, good morning. I'm Thank not sure you. if we are audible on our side. Thank you. Yes, you are audible. We don't see your face. <laughs> yes, okay. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, on behalf of RH Wupi Law uh, uh, for allowing us to present to yourselves. Uh, in this uh, very important matter uh, for the nation. Uh, with me, I am uh, Quinton Zunga. I am uh, the CEO of RH Bupilo. Um, RH Bupilo is a listed Johannesburg uh, JSC healthcare company, uh, Black-owned, a new group, small, uh, focusing on affordable healthcare uh, for... Uh, uh, um, the lower end market. With me, I have uh, my CFO, uh, Dion Klaver, um, as well as uh, my CIO, Mr. Colin Clark, uh, plus a partner in our, uh, our company, uh, Dr. Murray Haynes, and our accounting uh, um, and uh, technical advisor, uh, Kaya Sitole. Um, that comprises uh, our team. And uh, we are basically uh, trying to uh, engage the, the, the committee on how best uh, we can uh, align the NHI uh, initiative and regulation to the practical side of implementation. We are firm advocates of an NHI. We think uh, no one should be excluded from healthcare. So from a holistic uh, perspective, we are very aligned. However, with every regulation and with every uh, initiative, there may be some unintended consequence um, that may actually, uh, uh, on a practical level, uh, need aligning. To give you a little bit more background, currently we are trying to service a specific market in South Africa being the employed but uninsured. We are very cognizant that there may be three distinct group of people that NHI needs to look at in a much more uh, detailed way. And we'll go through a, a presentation, apologies. Uh, uh, maybe I'll even ask uh, Dion to share it, uh, the intro part, um, so that we, 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 we align. So they are the employed, but already covered by medical insurance. The second group is the employed, but not, um, uh, not covered, so they've got a job, but they can't afford medical health care. Then the third group is the indigent or those who don't even have employment, so obviously would not be having cover as well. 
we think those three groups present distinct differences in approach and we will get to the regulatory part where each part is 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 attended to because right now we do feel that the bill is very holistic um and may have some limitation in providing uh, a distinction of cover at some level so we we think everyone is going to deserve a minimum certain level of cover but there are specifics that we do want you to 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 look at um in order to also allow uh, uh the citizens to have uh, a little bit of flexibility i think the last one last thing we want is 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 protracted um challenges to this initiative we think it's needed sooner rather than later so aligning and streamlining the some of the potential issues of conflict or contestation is something that we can uh, opine on or not opine on but give our views on from a, a hospital operator perspective um in this regard um before i go on to, to to the presentation i would like to say we 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 see ourselves as a i mean rh bupilo as a enabler uh a company i e we do think there is a lot of scope for private sector to be much more facilitating for this to happen i think for us this initiative comes at uh almost at a watershed moment coming from uh, the 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 challenges of covid-19 um and we think it is highlighted the fact that if one segment of the country is not properly covered it affects the whole portion so cover for everybody is an important aspect that we need to ensure but plugging in the different initiatives within the context of private sector is a little bit more complex given that um there is an ecosystem that is currently uh, already in in place um i would like to hand over to 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 my ceo for now i given a broad context he will uh go through a little bit and then we go to uh specifics uh uh in terms of the issues we want to raise uh and then also leave some time for for questions uh is that okay dion you want to take it from now thank you for the background uh so there's a presentation that we shared um that i realize that i can't share on my side Yes, if it were possible to share that, that would be nice. If not possible, we're probably going to highlight the items one by one. Uh, Chair, um, is that okay? Is it possible to share or should we? All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. So we've gone through. Yes, we can already scroll down. Um, uh, this We've already introduced the team. I want to go to the next slide right and we introduced the company as well um that we we currently 
uh, I think one thing we didn't mention, we currently invested in 30 hospitals. So we do have quite a diverse view of understanding of our hospitals. And more importantly, our hospitals are in the peri-urban and rural. So our exposure to the peri-urban and rural community is uh, something that uh, differentiates us. Thank you very much, Kaya. We can go to the next one. Um, Right. I think we also mentioned that the participation of private sector, uh, we think there is important nuances that we can get this initiative and the bill to be very aligned with all hands on deck in order to improve healthcare services, uh, as well as fund these initiatives in a better way. Um, we can go to the next one. I don't want to repeat myself. Um, we're going to skip this healthcare sector. I'm sure the, the, the committee is a very uh, well-versed on the dynamics in this. So we're going to skip all of this if we can move from the overview and go straight to the issues uh, uh, at hand. Um, and I think here I'll let uh, um, uh, you, Kaya, and uh, Dion take over. All right, thank you, Quentin. So we've broken down the, the discussion um, uh, cycle and obviously looking at the introduction, uh, assessing the key issues uh, which are currently in, in the bill, uh, looking at more the constitutional uh, issues that uh, uh, we think might be an issue in terms of uh, implementing the bill. And uh, we made some comments on each aspect uh, of the bill. So can you move to the next slide? <clears throat> Okay, so I think we've we have pretty much covered uh, part of this in the in the in the introduction in terms of the, the the current system, the private healthcare, and the public healthcare in terms of them not working together to solve the common problem in South Africa, rather than the private sector focusing on the fifteen percent and the government uh, uh, stuck with eighty four percent of the population to provide services to. Oh, we, we can't hear you, Dion. Yep, I think we have a you have a connection problem there. Yes, maybe Queen must take over because yeah. we can't yes. hear. touched on. We just want to. Yeah. Dion, let me take over because I think the the line is 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 not that great. Um. I guess I guess here the slide we're talking about the the, the tiers of the uh, uh, two tier system of the insured and uninsured, but we did break down the the employed uh, but uninsured as a specific uh, grouping within making a kind of three groupings uh, uh, in this vessel and the indigent. Um, so we do understand the pulling of resources from NHI, and we do have some things that we want to talk about. Um, can we go on to the next slide? So the bill currently, we know it covers the powers of the fund, the function of the fund, the governance, purchasing framework, and the utilization of resources and undesirable practices. I think this is a very uh, a broad and important uh, uh, coverage, so effectively touches on all point. And where we are going to focus on is specifically where the issues might 
be refined. So I think we need to set the scene that we are not uh, critiques per se. So we're not trying to uh, like critique the bill. We are, we, our purpose is to align it and introduce some uh, 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 private or operator's perspective in how this can be done uh, more efficiently in order to get the country forward. Um, thank you. Next slide. Um, uh, Kaya, do you want to step in here or should I continue? I step in. So thank you very much. I'm good uh, morning to all honorable members. I think from our analysis of the bill, we wanted to look at the key constitutional elements that the bill will sort of tap into. <clears throat> and of course, section 27 being the primary one, which was the one of rights to, of access to healthcare was an important consideration. And of course, that right of access to healthcare is a right that is currently, at least in our view, not being fully fulfilled on the basis that so many people are actually outside the net and are either not adequately covered or simply because the systems are overwhelmed, which means that they can come back and say, actually, our constitutional expectation of proper access to healthcare is indeed compromised. So, of course, when you are looking at a universal health system, it seeks to address particularly that problem of ensuring that every citizen at any point in time can say that I do have access to healthcare as provided for in the constitution. However, what we did see in that in the bill was that it made a distinction uh, between those whose access to their NHS unlimited, which is essentially everybody who's a citizen with no limitations, and those that are classified as asylum seekers and illegal foreigners. And within that distinction, there's obviously different permutations depending on a person's status at that point in time. That distinction, that, the way we read it, implied that the access afforded to certain persons is limited and not absolute based on their citizenship status. And we thought that that might come back and become a point of contention when somebody says we are trying to implement universal healthcare coverage. However, for some people, the concept of universality is limited by the question of where they come from or the documents that they hold at any point in time. That is the first one. The secondary issue that we looked at was about Section 27.1a, which also <clears throat> grants everyone access to healthcare services, including reproductive healthcare. Now, what we then saw is that if persons that are mentioned in Section 4.2 of the bill, asylum seekers and illegal foreigners in particular, were to approach NHI accredited facilities, they'd only be granted emergency medical services and services for notifiable conditions of public health concern before reading it. In that end, we believe that there might be an access vacuum that emerges then when an affected person, being a pregnant woman, for example, is denied access to the facilities on the basis that that condition is not an emergency, and yet the child to be delivered is immediately entitled because that child, obviously, being born in South Africa, is not subject to the document limitations that we highlighted earlier. So on a practical level, that may create some tension points at the point of delivery, but I suspect that by the time the bill becomes um, effective, that would have been addressed in one way or another, but we thought it was key to highlight it because we did pick it up when we are reading the bill. The secondary issue was that we, from our reading, the bill has indeed followed the spirit of the constitution in relation to inmates that are going to be covered by the fund, and we do strongly uh, believe that is the right way to go. 
And the reason that emerged is obviously there's always a question that people tend to create the fact that uh, people who are incarcerated are by default already being limited in terms of their full enjoyment of all the And sometimes the question becomes why should health care not similarly be limited and it, not be, and it should be limited because access to health care should not be um, a question of where you are within the country's ecosystem at any point in time. Another last point that we thought would highlight is that in relation to the key practical health issues that are witnessed every day, we do think it's important to ensure that treatments like ARFEs are pre- and post-exposure prophylaxis treatment that is of great need to rape victims in particular and victims of sexual violence, specifically mentioned as a type of treatment for which no exclusions exist. And I think some members may be aware that there's also a process going on in looking at the questions relating to sex workers, for example, and some of the stigmas that we've identified related to how sex workers interact with the healthcare system is that people may feel a bit uncomfortable approaching a particular healthcare facility because everybody else can see that if you go into that land, then this is what you need to be able to do. What we are hoping for is that within the NHI dome, it will be very explicit that access to those particular resources is unlimited for all citizens. And why that becomes important is that if you look at the research and the data, relating to people accessing pre-exposure treatment, for example, when they have been exposed to sickness. Hold on, Mr. Mr. Tolle. Mr. Tolle, your, your voice is accompanied by another noise. I don't know what it is. Uh, unless someone else amongst us is not muted. Can we all mute so that you can then limit that noise to be only coming in from Mr. Tolle? Thanks. Okay. Thank you very much. I hope that it, 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 it has improved a bit. Um, so I think the other point that we wanted to highlight is that if there are still some exclusion rules in this case, those will be self-defeating as a spread of such diseases is definitely a public health care concern. And that, that transmissions may actually affect the users of the NHA fund, which essentially escalates the cost associated with having the fund itself. In relation to specific sections of the bill, we also identified some sections that when we looked at, we thought maybe there might be a need for some greater sense of clarity or some explanation on to what those sections really want to get it to say. Some of that may actually turn out to be just semantics that may have fallen through the cracks in the drafting process. So we think it's something that we just wanted to highlight, but we do not believe that it actually undermines the bill in its entirety. So if you look at the registration section, for example, it does require users to register with the fund in order to access accredited health care facilities. Now, of course, in South Africa, the question of people's identity and people's addresses is an ongoing problem. And we've seen that problem in particular manifesting when it comes to the question of elections in one form or another, because not everybody's in a position to provide a proof of address that is um, up to date at any point in time. So even within the registration process, that might then become the new impediment where suddenly people say, I'm in this particular location, I'm not able to provide the documentation that proves my address in the way that that is expected. And we're hoping that that doesn't become a basis for a person and not being able to access healthcare facilities because we as South Africans already understand that there is indeed a pre-existing problem in relation to that. So the... That yes, noise, there's a continued noise there. Do you know what could be the reason that there's a noise accompanying your presentation? Sure, sir. I'm not sure. Hello. I didn't hear that. 
could it be possible that you sign up twice? No, 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 definitely not. It sounds like there's a plumbing going on somewhere in this platform, either under you or in another men's, men's platform. Some okay. plumbing, pulling and pushing of pipes and all that continuous noise. Can all uh, of us meet? Perhaps, uh, Kaya, you could uh, log off and log on and um, uh, we could, I could just continue for the short term whilst uh, you are logging in and logging off. I agree with that. I will do that. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, and chair through you, if I could ask, is it also should we do the whole presentation and wait for comments at the end, or we can take some comments as well? And at the end. At the end. Okay. All right. So let's just we'll just wait for Kaya there shortly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let me. Yes, I can continue. So, yes, let me, yeah. Let me share now uh, my screen. Uh, hang on a second for me. Um, I don't know if that is. Uh, uh, all members can can see it. Yeah, put it on a slideshow. Yeah, and then I'll get back to the section that uh, we were with Kaya. So I guess the, the, the issue we're talking about was, was around the registration um, and, and trying to also align this to the practical issues uh, regarding utilization. Um, we do know that definitely... Um, the key operating mode is if healthcare is going to be provided to everyone, then the registration should be as simple as possible. And we do know that even from, I think we've seen even from the issue around the vaccine, that you could actually find that what is uh, supposed to be an easy process um, should be, um, uh, uh, becomes very difficult. In this regard, we do think we, there, is, there is need for ability to register from everywhere. Again, we, we do think uh, limiting the registration to accredited health facility will prove to a problem. For instance, one aspect that we can give you as an example, let's say a, a person has never actually used a medical facility, so has never gone to one and never registered, right? And is involved in an accident. So that point of... Uh, 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 engagement with the system is uh, on the uh, emergency and trauma. But if we allow the ability to register to be very prevalent, i.e. increase the location of uh, 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 your registration um, to what we have now, including the banking channels, the shopping channels, it will allow a much bigger uptake and uh, uh, utilization of the facility. In addition, it will provide the fund with better data as to the location of their um, uh, users. Because one of the very important things to note is that you're going to have facilities, but they're not as prevalent as where the patient is at, but ability to get this information on a broader spectrum 
uh, uh, is, 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 is important. Um, I think the to uh, be uh, that indicates that a child that is born to a user is granted automatic reg re uh, registration. I, I think it also has caveats, and I think Kaya was mentioning to it that there is a distinction between what happens to the mother in terms of uh, medical registration and uh, what happens to the to the to the to the uh, a child. Um, it will have a, a contentious issue because you might have a differing constitutional um, uh, imperative that you need to uh, 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 address. And uh, it is very difficult at a certain point to distinguish the difference between those two patients, in which case you put the onus on the medical facility to provide differentiated services. I think practically, Implementing this will be a challenge. Um, um, I, I think the, the 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 members would be um, uh, we would would implore them to look at it. That if you are actually going to provide this, you provide this with a holistic package, which is what happens to maternal care. Is that it's a package? The mother goes in and the mother provides says until the mother leaves and uh, the child leaves separately we don't necessarily uh, break the two and remove one or differentiate the, 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 the other. Kaya, let me know when you're back uh, and you can pick up and hopefully your sound is better. Are you back? Continue, he will indicate. Okay, will <laughs> okay. indicate All right, I'll, I'll continue. And I'm, I'm cognizant of our 45, so I'm gonna rush through a little bit um, so I, I think the ability of the users to purchase that are not provided by the fund is definitely going to be one of the issues there. Now, our view is the key thing is to provide a minimum service to everyone. Um, and, and, I, and we are particularly uh, of the view that uh, it, it does not detract from the ability, should not detract from the ability of uh, uh, other users getting enhanced services. As you know, as the, the, if we work by what currently happened in the med, what currently is the uh, minimum prescribed benefits in the medical aids bill, it is quite an expensive set of uh, 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 benefits. Now, what we're saying is that the state should look at a tiered approach. Um, the state should look at, firstly, we say they are the indigent that don't have a, 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 any kind of ability to acquire anything. There are those who are employed but can't afford and those who can afford. I think the state should provide the minimum cover, but allow the flexibility of the members uh, that can want to buy extras to that. Now, the important differentiator with what we are saying is not to discriminate on ability to pay, but what we are saying is that the facilities that everyone uses are going to be the same, okay? If the facility is the same, there is an ability for some members, for instance, right now, you may have general wards and you may have private wards. 
So if we're saying if you want a private word, it's fine. There is a private word, but there is a general word which provides a quality services at all. Currently, the unintended consequences that someone who has the private word may not be able to, who can afford it, may not be able to use it, especially if the private sector has already built those facilities. So the question would be what will happen to those services, service providers, that ecosystem, which can be complementary to the uh, to the NHI. So we don't uh, particularly see a divergence of the in, intention here by providing the users an ability to get extra services should they wish or should they want um, or, or some services which may the state may not provide uh, efficiently. So there, there, there needs to be some flexibility. I think it, it, in, our, in our view, it need not to be contradicting. Okay. All right. Now, uh, the, the issue of referral, sorry. Uh, okay, let's go start. Um, healthcare, the, the services that are, are, are provided for. Now, we all understand that uh, medical facilities are very different. Now, when the NHI bills and there's a minimum uh, a required um, a service levels that they're going to give, the, we, we would like members to understand that you've got to make all these facilities available um, in, a, on, on, in a national basis. And that is not a small undertaking. Uh, I think we currently know that the, the public sector is stretched. The private sector does have facility, but the contracting platforms have not been efficient, as well as the concentration of those facilities have been in the urban centers. So we would like the, the members to consider um, the, 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 the ability for the services to be provided by the most uh, closest facility, irrespective of whether it's private or public. Um, because I guess the key thing that's going to happen here is that you wouldn't want to to travel 100 kilometers to get the service that you have been promised when there is another alternative that could be fast. So the important thing here is a very big alignment with the public facilities and private facility in providing the ultimate patient with a a, a, a standardized and seamless service that does not increase the complexity of engaging with the healthcare service. So it, it is very important. I guess here what we're really advocating is a unionized approach between public and private at an infrastructure level. Okay, so I go to the next one. All right, in relation to the management uh, of users within the system, uh, we agree with this section. Uh, however, uh, the subsection two, uh, section two, subsection two D three, uh, the intent implies, implies that a user is not entitled to sales if they adhere, if they fail to adhere to a referral pathway as prescribed. Uh, now, I guess the issue there, obviously, I won't take too long on this point is that that is a very subjective matter. So 
we may have i mean we i, I think the, the the committee is aware of uh medical legal liability and these pathways are often different even from a practitioner to practitioner so i think here what the committee should be looking at is the cost of the route to success that's the important thing how much is the fund going to take to get you back and within the contracting allow for different pathways as long as the cost is within the uh, the, the 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 prescribed matter now typically this uh this can happen with uh, a certain type of contracting which is like capitation where you're not trying to hardwire the pathways because it's a very subjective matter you are trying to hardwire the outcome and the cost and the providers would have to look at the most efficient way to get that done so i i think there's something that you might want to think of uh in terms of um those different pathways uh which are going to be uh uncertain and the the accessibility of the data under the system is going to be evolving and you may find challenges from uh, a lot of people from that aspect um uh section 72e relating to contracting with uh, accredited providers uh i think it provides for the basis for uh contracting um on the healthcare users uh needs of the healthcare users and according to ref uh, uh, pro uh referral pathways we think that it in session it may be difficult to administer um as these pathways are going to be developed and are evolving so one of the things like i was saying in the previous uh, uh matter is if the emphasis is on the pathways and the provider providing the pathways that's a very more complex look at it versus an emphasis on the outcome and cost of the outcome so this one uh, puts the onus of establishing different pathways in a very systematic way at the in inception and we know this may be a challenge and uh, may delay the efficiency of the fund in the beginning. Now, already we do know that uh, we do agree that there are some pathways that are, 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 um, are evolved over time um, under the medical aids uh, operational platforms. Um, but again, if you're going on a national basis with national outcomes, one would want to see uh, the, uh, the accredited providers being given a lot more uh, flexibility on how to deliver the service that the state wants to. And the state becomes, uh, or the, the fund becomes an arbiter of quality and prices, but not necessarily every pathway that needs to go forward. Uh, section 74, uh, the denial of funding. Uh, um, I think the, the wording here seems to suggest that treatment will not be provided for if the healthcare service provider demonstrates that non-medical necessity exists for this service in question. Right. So, okay. Again, um, we are looking at very contentious things and some things may have lightened impact. Uh, what do we mean? We do mean that uh, 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 the, the diagnosis of 
uh, a patient at the beginning may not be fully uh, uh, um, accrued to an underlying condition which may have an impact later. I, I do think the denial of, of, uh, of, of, of service uh, needs to be a little bit more uh, um, uh, documented, the circumstances to avoid um, a situation where someone is denied service and indeed uh, a, a situation develops along the road and uh, the fund will now be faced with the uh, challenge that you were not able to provide funds. You've got it. You've taken on a constitutional uh, uh, undertaking to provide services. So obviously, all the related uh, challenges ensuing uh, 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 is a, it's a it's a liability that would be challenged to your to to the fund. Now, what we are saying is that we need to avoid this fund being stuck in lots of lab medical. Uh, challenges and liabilities, as we've seen, it has encumbered the current uh, pu- public sector. Uh, I'll just wrap up now ooh, um, and, and and try and see if I can quickly. Uh, I'm the, quickly for you. Yes, please. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you, honourable members. Thank you, chair. Um, the last three sections here, and uh, and the section that cost coverage relates a lot to what Quinton was saying on the on the previous section seven point four, with regards to what's deemed a medically um, uh, appropriate benefit. And I think uh, the, the two key areas that we want to discuss here is the way that, that section 8.2 currently reads uh, may be overly restrictive, implying that uh, that there needs to be a, a voluntary medical insurance or other medical scheme. It doesn't allow for a for a um, cash-paying patient. Um, so we believe that this might be read better as through a voluntary medical insurance scheme or any other means. Um, and then the other the other element that we that we that we think needs some consideration here is uh, around the third denial, which is when a medical benefit is deemed inappropriate, um, as as defined by the benefits advisory committee. When we read um, uh, when we read section twenty five five, we see that this is a consultation process uh, in conjunction with the minister and the board and and the health service benefits providers. Uh, and so it's, it's probably best seen as a strategic oversight as opposed to a uh, operational function. Uh, for that, uh, for that reason, uh, we propose that uh, potentially the the clinical decision making should be uh, left in the hands of the healthcare service provider who are on the ground with the patient, uh, but in accordance with strict guidelines and overview provided by the benefits advisory committee. Uh, in, in, in determining what's the appropriate level of care and, and benefits provided. And thank you, Kai, if we can move to the next section. And this section deals with the role of the medical schemes. Um, and, uh, and what we're seeing is that currently the wording uh, limits the ability of the medical schemes to provide insurance cover uh, for areas when uh, it is not covered by uh, the fund, i.e. those areas of denial that we mentioned in 7.4 and 8.3 above. Uh, we, we believe that to some degree this might, this might be antithetical to the Constitution in terms of the, the freedom of choice and association, and we, we should probably have a closer look at that. Um, I think uh, what the, the, the NHI still needs to leave scope open for uncredited facilities uh, to exist in, in a, as written in Section 5.7, um, and, uh, and this prohibits the medical schemes from providing a full suite of, of, of product functions. It's, it's only allowing for the servicing of certain elements that are not covered under the fund. 
uh, which may be problematic for both the sustainability and the ability to provide a full scope of service by the, by the medical scheme covers. Um, secondly, there, there needs to be, sorry, just the previous section there, Kaya. The last one is just around some potential additional conflicts that may arise when an individual is registered with the, with the scheme, with NHI, but is unable to access benefits for the following three reasons, the qualification exclusion, the administrative exclusion, and the service exclusion. Um, we need to take a closer look at that and understand what, they are, what their alternatives are at that point in time if they're unable to uh, access a, a, a private medical scheme, as, as the current wording states. Um, and we also need to just read in that the, the last point there is that SARS is within its rights to cancel the medical aid rebate, uh, and this has a significant uh, impact on the affordability of some of these alternative measures uh, for, for some of the people to access. Thank you. Uh, the last section, which is a key section, um, uh, talks around the chief sources of income, uh, and principally uh, one, of the leading, one of the leading proposals is around the medical aid rebates. Uh, particularly the reallocation of the funding from the medical tax, uh, the medical scheme tax credits. Um, and we understand that to be the, the key mechanism of transfer. Um, what this implies is that it's facilitated through a tax rebate and tax credit system, uh, which is premised on the fact that people belong to a medical scheme. Uh, we don't believe that everyone will be belonging to a medical scheme. Um, and uh, we need to also uh, account for those out-of-pocket uh, expenditures and 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 how to determine the the threshold at which point those tax credits are are accrued and whether that falls away completely. The, the writing of the bill currently um, uh, basically means that section eight, uh, section section six a and section six b of the tax act will it will will essentially become redundant uh, as there'll be no tax credit credit relief there. Um, we believe that uh, that 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 this might. Uh, limit the value in terms of the ability to raise the necessary capital uh, that is required uh, by the NHI. Um, the additional uh, additional taxes have also been put forward, uh, potentially a payroll tax and an income tax. Um, the concern there uh, is that there might be a disproportionate uh, level of coverage uh, uh, burdened on the um, on the employed citizens. And, uh, and there might there might be some negative effects as a as a consequence. Um, the, the next page, please, Kyle. The two key things we need to look at is the the public sector is um, 221 billion of contribution, whereas the private sector is bringing in roughly 225 billion of contribution to healthcare spend in the country at the moment. We can understand and see how the the 221 is going to come in through kind of tax reallocation and benefit reallocation. Uh, by the fiscus, we, we, we're just not entirely sure how we're going to, to reallocate and get that 225 billion of private spend into the NHI such that, uh, that the funding capacity is, is achieved. Um, we, we think that three potential areas that, uh, that should be looked at and considered in terms of final drafting uh, would be to increase the UIF collections, um, would be to create a ring fence UIF or RAF-like fund that allocates directly to the NHI fund, and the third potential is, is qualifying employers direct, uh, directly contribute to the fund as a percentage of payroll cost and see whether, whether those might be a combination of, of how we can bring in uh, the 225 that's currently spent through the private healthcare sector. Mm -hmm. I guess, Mary, this is a very important uh, section that deals with the funding uh, because we, can't, we cannot assume that the 450 billion will automatically be available to the fund 
we understand that half of that is comes through the fiscal, which can be rededicated, but the other one which comes through the private sector, an effort still needed in order to first to uh, ring fence or bring those funds and hence our proposal to say, let's use the existing mechanisms that are in place, uh, which uh, you see you, you like UIF uh, ref structure, which can get that uh, 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 funding from private sector into an NHI, in, into an NHI fund. And otherwise we end up with a short funded uh, 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 fund that fails to pay uh, for services and which will be, become very problematic. Uh, Quinton, do you mind going to slide number four so that we can conclude? Uh, there's just something that I wanted to highlight that uh, the, the current uh, problems in the healthcare system, which the NHI, uh, we think, uh, and this is what we've been seeing uh, uh, as a uh, as a company that is currently in uh, uh, in the healthcare. It's slide number four, Quinton. Just go up. It just summarizes. Uh, okay, slide number four. Okay. Yeah, this one. So one of the things that we've been saying, because we we our role is to generally uh, partner up with the new entrants, uh, uh, with doctors which want to develop uh, practices or hospitals. So in terms of the new entrants, it's always been hard for uh, black entrants to have space in the sector because they have to raise a, a, a substantial amount of equity, uh, which has been always been difficult given that there's no uh, uh, market at, at the beginning. So with the like NHI structure, uh, that those development can be facilitated through the NHI fund in terms of knowing which areas need additional development or need additional infrastructure uh, so that by the time when the, the, the new infrastructure is put up, we know that there is sufficient services in that particular community or a gap in terms of servicing. The second one is the provision of healthcare services. So currently, unfortunately, in the current, whether it's health, uh, private or public, uh, the, the competition is not really based on good quality services. It's mainly based on what uh, the medical aid uh, tells you where you need to go to get servicing. So this you can see based on the different types of options that are available in the medical aid, where some of the options are comprehensive, which uh, in most cases you can go to all the hospitals. But if you are sitting maybe on the lower-ended products like your key care, uh, you cannot go to any hospital. Sometimes you are forced to travel out of where the community where you are in to go to another hospital where you can avoid uh, co-payments. So we think uh, with the, the NHI, the quality will be more emphasized because there could be a, a potential assessment with the vetting committee that look at. Get the quality of services that will be uh, three, the availability of capital. Currently in South Africa, it's hard to receive uh, uh, Quentin, the previous slide. Uh, yeah, in terms of capital, so we've seen that the banks have been reluctant to put money in the in the in the healthcare, uh, and equity has always been uh, not readily available, which makes it so hard to have uh, sizable investments, especially in the in the rural areas, especially in the uh, in the peri-urban areas. So with the 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 NHI, it means that the more the, the market would now be coming mainly from the rural areas and the township where you have a concentration of most of the population, which means that now there will be an, an, an encouragement of additional development into those areas, which lead to additional new jobs that will be crea uh, created through this, uh, uh, the creation of the NHI. 
In terms of the fiscal resourcing, obviously that one currently how the, the from the fiscal to the to the to the to the public infrastructure is not necessarily based on services. It's just uh, uh, mainly a, a donation based in terms of the, the how the, the provinces allocate their funding to the public infrastructure uh, for services. So we think with this, it may, it's gonna uh, it's going to lead to an improvement of services, which now the services will be improved through this uh, the committee within the NHI fund to make sure that there's improved quality of services that are being delivered uh, in the township in the rural areas or in the, uh, and when it comes to a public infrastructure. The other one that we're seeing as a negative is, uh, is that uh, if you build a new hospital or you, you, a, pra- a, a, a practitioner, you find that some of the, the, the currently uh, uh, insured population are not able to, to access your facility. And we have seen in the past where uh, the doctors associations have, uh, we were striking about uh, uh, pre-selection in terms of who can, they can service and who can, they can't service. So it takes away this uh, 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 decisions now to be uh, done through the, the fund in making sure that you don't sit with uh, doctors or black doctors in, part, in particular that are currently excluded uh, from uh, providing care uh, uh, to, to, uh, to the part of the population, especially the insured at the current point. Uh, uh, with the collapse of this, we can see that uh, being uh, 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 relaxed and well managed. Uh, the, 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 in terms of the service providers, the practitioners, in terms of how they get reimbursed through the system, that will also will also be changed because there is a, a, a process that will be put in place through, uh, through this fund that will make sure that everybody knows what process is in place for the reinvestment. What we note here, Chair, is that the reinvestment uh, sometimes is not the same for different service providers in terms of from the medical aid. Sometimes in some medical aids is faster, some medical aids is not. So it may sometimes based on who the, pract- the practitioner is. Uh, we think is, your time is on finish now. We think South Africa can, can implement the NHI. We've seen other countries which have less resources uh, to compare to our one and able to, 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 to uh, 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 implement the NHI. If you look at Rwanda, it's much smaller in size. It's almost 20% of South Africa, uh, if not even less, but they managed to implement it and uh, they made healthcare available to everyone in Rwanda. Yeah. Thank you, Chair, for the opportunity. Yeah, the, the challenge that you face is that uh, you, you present slides, but you then go outside the slides and say something else that we have no access to as you actually speak, you don't stick to your slides and therefore you, you ended up finishing your time. There are members who have indicated that they would like to interact with your presentation. But I was also alarmed when I listened to a particular statement. I can't remember who made it amongst the three of you who are presenting, where you, com- you were coming in to indicate the inefficiencies, challenges, and the poor performance of the public health sector, good enough, granted. But then you come in and say the private health care sector is, the, is an enabler, is the one that is going to make those corrections. You, you will have to help me in understanding what did you mean by that. Uh, that um, was, it gives an impression that everything that you will see as a challenge in the healthcare sector 
uh, that is not going well is in the public health sector, but everything else in the private health sector is going well. But you'll answer that in relation to other questions that honorable members are going to ask you. I just thought uh, that one was just too glaring to, to hear uh, coming in from your presentation. Uh, honorable members, uh, I was deeply involved in this presentation, therefore I was not able to take your, to follow who wants to ask, uh, if I could use this space to take your names down. Oh, I think I noticed uh, the first one was Honorable Sokacha, the second one, Honorable Dr. Harvard, the third was Honorable Dr. Jacobs, and I ended with Honorable Shengwa. Those are the four names. I, I then didn't check my uh, chat group thereafter. Who are, who is number five? Honorable Mnyai. Okay, Mnyai, you are number five. Number six, Honorable Gela. I see your hand on the platform. Any other hand? Honorable Ismail Chair. Oh, Ismail, number seven. Any other hand? So we'll go in this order. Honorable Sokacha, Honorable Dr. Harvard, Honorable Dr. Jacobs, number three. She has sent her question to me because she has a challenge. Then I'll read it when it comes to her space. Honorable Munyayu are number five. Honorable Kela, number six. Honorable Ismail, you are number seven. I will come after Honorable Ismail. Thank you. In that order, Honorable Member Start. Very much, Honorable Chairperson. <clears throat> Ask few questions from my side. The first one uh, uh, in the presentation uh, of the team, uh, uh, they raised concerns about the portability to access national health insurance services. Section 7 of the bill states that services will be portable. This section caters for the ability of a user to access healthcare services from an uncredited healthcare service provider or at an accredited health establishment other than by the healthcare service provider or at the health establishment with whom or at which the user is registered in terms of Section 5. Is this not covering your concern about portability? Then my second question, uh, uh, Honorable Chairperson, um, is on uh, Section 49 and 50. Why are you linking abolishing of tax credits to the inability of the fund to generate its funding? Thank you very much, Chairperson. Dr. Harvard, I come back to indicate after the member is finished, you then take over, please. Uh, thank you, Honorable Chair. I only have one question. Your request for the publication of the NHI Fund Health Services is noted. Is this not taken care of in Section 25 of the bill, 
which outlines the role of the Benefits Advisory Committee. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson, and thank you to the presenters this morning. I have three questions for them. The one is on the funding for undocumented uh, migrants and asylum seekers. And I want to hear from them what their proposal would be um, for coverage of, uh, of, of the mentioned groups under the NHI. And then my next question is whether the presenters can indicate where in the bill there is exclusion of private facilities for provision of services. Is the, are the criteria for providing services licensing by the department or statutory council, certification by OHSC and accreditation by the fund as outlined in section 10B and 10D not, not adequate for them? And uh, my next question, Chair, is um, just as a matter of emphasis um, and, and for clarity, whether they're suggesting that the NHI funds must be ring-fenced or earmarked like the case of the UIS or the RAS. Thank you, Chair. Honorable Chair. Yes, Thank you sir. very much for this opportunity. My first question is the following. We are very happy to see that you provide a service to the so-called low income segment of our population. Under the current status quo, what percentage of your revenue is from medical scheme and what is, what is from cash or out of pocket payments? And if you may share with us, please, what percentage, if any, of the out-of-pocket payment do you write off? That's my first question. My other question, second question, Honorable Chair, is the following. What type of investment has uh, RHOP put into the, uh, the provision of healthcare services into rural areas? That's my second question, Honorable Chair. My other question that I need to put forward uh, right now is the following. Is, RH, is it RHWPLO uh, of the opinion that those without means must be given any basic services and those with the means to be given the best, that is maintaining the current system of inequality? That is the other question, Honorable Chair. The other question that I want to put forward is that can the presenter indicate where in the bill, I would like them to show us, where, where there is an exclusion of private facilities in the provision of services? Is the criteria for providing service, uh, services licensing by the department of department or statutory council or certification by OH, OHCS, OS, OHSC and, and uh, accreditation by the fund as outlined in section 10 uh, B and D, if they can please clarify. 
Um, and I think, uh, Honorable Chair, I'm done with my questions, and I'm sure they must indicate because where I've caught a section, because impression could be created uh, that what would have been said is objective reality if it's not clarified. Thank you. Yet, or objective or subjective of reality, if it's not clarified. Thank you. Yeah. May, may I read before Honorable Kela a question from uh, Honorable Lengwa? There are two of them. Mama Lengwa is asking, what, what are the proposals by Bupelo Limited in achieving equality in registrations and treatment in geographically remote areas under NHI? Number two, how do we bridge these geographically disadvantaged uh, communities before 2026? Those two are from Honorable Shengwa. Let me then allow Honorable Kela to come with her questions. Uh, thank you very much, Chair. Uh, my first question uh, to the presenter, uh, your approach has divided the population into three groups and mention that you are of a view that they need to be a, a, a different approach to these groups. Could you please explain and expand on this, uh, bearing in mind the purpose of the bill? Uh, my second question, Chen, uh, whilst you are indicating that you support the NHI bill, I am getting a sense that uh, RH support the maintenance of the status quo of a two-third fragmented uh, system, one for the rich and one for the poor. Is that uh, correct? You will correct me if I'm wrong. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Good afternoon. And once again, thank you for the presentation. I just have a few questions. One, you mentioned how the bill seeks to exclude asylum seekers and illegal foreigners. Can this be viewed as institutionalized xenophobia? My second question, how does this contradict the bill's intended purpose? And could this pose a human rights concern? My third question, on a matter of governance, with the amount of SIU investigations in the health department and government, what's your view on the bill giving the minister the right to establish the board and related entities? Would you agree with this in the bill, or would you rather agree that the boards be elected by and answerable to parliament? My fourth question, you mentioned the committee is a way of medical liability. Now, what's your view of the impact of around 104 billion rand in legal costs due to medical negligence? Now, taking this into account, what's your view of how the NHI will be negatively impacted in the long run? My fifth question, what's your view of the NHI pilot projects? Were they successful considering pilot studies possibly had very few um, you know, features of the NHI? And my last question, the, o, the OHSC currently can only monitor 7% of healthcare facilities, and now many of which do not meet the minimum norms and standards. 
Currently, the majority of healthcare facilities will not meet the accreditation requirements of the NHI. How will this negatively impact equal access between urban and rural areas? Um, now, on the issue of quality healthcare facilities, you know, quality healthcare facilities are often clustered in urban areas. I would just like to know how this will impact equality, that which is supposed to be a goal of the NHI. Thank you, Chair. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, for, from my side, the Arish Bopelo, I just have about three questions. Uh, I hope you remember the first one that I just posed uh, regarding you being the, the main enabler uh, to pull up uh, an ailing uh, uh, public health care sector because it gives an impression that the only challenge we have is just an ailing. We fix that, everything else will then be fixed. Um, you also raised uh, a concern about the limitation uh, of uh, access or of uh, residents to Muslim uh, in section 5.5 as a requirement for that, uh, even making proposals that maybe banks uh, can or should be used to register uh, the population. Uh, what would then be your proposal in the allocation and reimbursements, especially if the capitation model uh, are to be followed in the process of uh, in that situation? Now, the other one, uh, you, you are then saying the bill has made provision for stakeholders. We wanted to check whether in the bill you do acknowledge that there has been room for the stakeholders to make their participation uh, in, the, in the objective of this bill, uh, the provision and including the issues of provision of quality, the issues of access equitably and available healthcare services. Uh, because the, this bill is actually uh, is coming in from previous white and green papers. So if you think that has been lost within that uh, space, you will indicate. Uh, I think my last one, uh, you, you were indicating about the rights of users, uh, the rights of users. Uh, are you suggesting maybe that the rights of uh, to freedom of choice and association are more important than the rights of providing access to healthcare services uh, under this umbrella of the right of users, uh, where you are suggesting maybe that the, the rights of freedom of choice, probably you indicate that you think it's much more important than the rights of providing access to care. Uh, are we all asked questions? Have we all asked or there are any other takers? If not, let me allow the Bupilo to reply to our clarity-seeking questions. Thanks. Thank you, uh, Honorable Chair. Um, I will start with a few simple ones, and then my team will jump in, in and answer um, uh, the rest. Uh, firstly, I would like to say definitely we are not implying fixing uh, that the private sector is a solution is a, is a is a provider of the solution. In fact, it has got its own problems, which uh, Dion was um, uh, trying to, uh, our CFO was trying to articulate. What we are merely saying is that 
this should be a partnership from both sides to work the best. Um, and we kind of need each other to 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 make it sustainable. That's that's all. But definitely, I agree with you. Where we don't want to give the impression that the private sector has uh, as uh, the solutions uh, alone here. That's not that's not what we meant. Um, let me also answer this question from uh, Honorable Gela um, around the rich and poor. We do not subscribe to the rich and poor system. In fact, our whole ethos of our company is to increase access to the underserved. We are in mainly uh, rural and um, and uh, peri-urban. Uh, so we are aligned in intent. It is really a making it as practical as possible and we all know the practicalities are the ones that will impede progress even when the intent is very good so we're just trying to ventilate practical challenges that may need to be aligned in order to have less consensus contestation and increased um uh, uh efficiency um Then I want to answer the the, the question around uh, what has R.H. Bupilo, um, uh done in, in terms of investment in the sector. We uh, we have invested uh, five billion in the South African health sector in thirty uh, healthcare facilities and twenty medical centers. We have built uh, 20 new facilities on our own. We are currently uh, uh, building about five to seven new facilities a year. Um, uh, This year we'll be opening uh, uh, Royal Buffalo Private Hospital in East London. We'll be opening Mohase Private Hospital. We'll be opening in uh, Nelspreet uh, 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 as well starting construction in Malilani um, and uh, Attridgeville. Uh, so we, we are very much in the township, Perry Eben. And what we are trying to see is we don't spend too much more money and be redundant. Obviously, you can understand we want to be a partner, not um, a, cont- a contradictor. Uh, so uh, we are continuing the pace of our investment and we want to be able to align that to what the NHI bill is. Um, there was a question uh, around the uh, portion of our current patient base. What is uh, out of pocket? What is medical aid? Currently, we are at an 85 um, to 15 cash and um, I mean, 85 medical covered and uh, 15 cash. However, part of the, there is about six, seven, seven, six percent, I would say, of a specific type of medical insurance that is costing less than 450. And that market is growing significantly for those that are employed but uninsured. Uh, uh, initiatives in this has been the transfer of all security guards to a mandatory 
uh, medical product uh, as the as of the beginning of uh, June this year, uh, costing 250 per member. And we see the opportunity and other parties are also doing that. So um, that market is growing bigger than the medical aid market, which is contracting um, per se. So in our 85, there's seven, which is uh, the um, low cost medical benefits. I'm sure the members are aware of that and the contestation around that. We think it's absolutely pivotal, especially, I think, uh, advocate, uh, oh, I'm forgetting the name, if you may bear with me. Uh, had uh, There was a question on what's going to happen between now and the uh, the bill in terms of the law, law uh, the rural and peri urban. As a company, we're still provide, going to build services there. Uh, we do think the NHI build should look favorably to those who are investing in the underserved areas in the future, because I, we do know that when everything is now uh, in active gear, those who are committing resources to may also be overlooked and with particular uh, emphasis should be access uh, nationally. So if you're in Santon and you are in Mohase, you should be uh, getting similar qualities uh, per se. So that is something that we want to uh, uh, attend to. Um, there's another question that um, I think uh, it's, uh, 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 it's Honorable Tlengwa um around the quality in registration we do not advocate for registering at hospitals as a, the primary source in fact the hospital environment is not the best to be registering because there are casualties there's doctors there's even uh, you know you can actually get some sicknesses from <laughs> i'm sorry for alarming all all the honorables here but we are saying allow the market to be able to register. This is for the benefit of the fund. If I go into a shopping center, I've got the required documents. Do just as Home Affairs has done it with the banks, um, is taking away the pressure from the hospital. When we are going to the hospital, we want to see the patients, so we don't want to just see queues of people want to register. So there may be something to say. Uh, about inclusive development of this fund, which means it's an economic activity. The registration of uh, members is economic activity might have a price. Maybe it costs 10, 10 rands or 20 rands. Someone has paid 10 rands in the, to, to, to do this, uh, and it's happening outside the service, and the patient comes into the facility for medical care. So we believe the more parties that are allowed to register, the better. Um, including if you're looking at poorly serviced areas, you're going to see the banks are more prevalent, the shopping uh, groups are more prevalent, um, and, and they should be allowed. Uh, and we're saying this with no uh, um, conflict because we're, we're, we're actually saying we're not the only ones who should register because the more people that come in quicker, the better. Um, so uh, I would like to, to, to leave to my team to, to start and hopefully we'll all be trying to be very quick and make sure we cover everything. Uh, I'm not sure who wants to start. Um, uh, I would like to start with Mare. Uh, I think the question around tax credits to funding, that was the second question um, that was posed. 
Um, after the Section 7 portability portion, do you want to quickly uh, summarize and answer there? And then I also want to bring in Kaya and, and Dion for the rest of the answers. Perfect. Thank you, Quentin. Um, uh, uh, Honourable Member, thank you for the question. Uh, I think the point, of, the, the point of clarity there is that the system is based on a, a, a rebate system. Um, and, and, and premised on the fact that uh, people are members of a, of a medical scheme. Um, our view is that if the uh, tax rebate associated with medical scheme membership is uh, abolished, you will have fewer numbers that will sign up for the medical schemes. And as a consequence, uh, a greater proportion of the population will be dependent on the NHI funding mechanism. Um, uh, and as a result, the net funding effect will be uh, not null, but will be limited. Okay, um, I hope that answers. Do you want to answer anything also in your sections that you, you noted quickly? Um, I think uh, I think potentially the one uh, the one area that was that was raised. Uh, was whether the access for asylum seekers and illegal foreigners uh, might be deemed as institutional uh, um, xenophobia. Uh, I think the point we were raising uh, under Section 4.2, uh, as well as 27.1a, um, is not that, uh, that there's institutional xenophobia, but that there's complexity arises based on the various sections of the Act, as well as the um, as, as well as Section 28.1c of the Constitution with regards to the access of minors to health care. Uh, and I think the point we were making there is that, that there is complexity. Um, we, we posed an example uh, where a mother and a child would be treated separately based on, based on status. Uh, and the, the, the complexity of that decision-making at uh, healthcare care provider level uh, is one which needs clear outlines, clear guidance, uh, and potentially a, a, a clear path of management. Um, we're not saying it's institutional xenophobia. We're just saying from a operational implementation perspective on the ground, uh, healthcare providers need clear outlines in terms of how to interpret each of these um, uh, sections of the various acts. Yeah, just to add on there, I think we, we, we need to be as inclusive as possible. So the idea is uh, trying to find mechanism to uh, bring in these um, uh, foreigners as exclude them, including uh, the co-payment options or payment at the borders. There are a few other optionalities that can allow someone to be uh, already participating in a limited sense. Um, I think that was also uh, Honorable Ismail there was some issue about who is best set to uh, establish um, the committee, whether it should be uh, reporting to parliament or, or the, 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 the minister. Um, we want to be very honest. We are not sure, and we're probably not experts either. <laughs> so for want of not causing more confusion, um, we do think all we can say is we want the most efficient body possible um, this in medical uh, decisions are made very quickly. Uh, some of them are life um, changing. So whichever body is, uh, is, 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 is deemed appropriate should have the necessity and ability to decide quickly um, uh, per se. 
Dion, you want to pick up some answers? Is Dion there? If not, uh, uh, there's still quite a lot. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, can you hear me, Quentin? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, so the, the one that I wanted to take, take on was more on the also looking at the, the investment into to the villages. Uh, so I think what, what we've been seeing now is that the responsibility at this point is really left to, uh, to the state uh, to provide that infrastructure. So with the introduction of the N NHI, you might see some sort of shared uh, responsibility uh, with, uh, 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 with, with government, uh, where government is not able to put up that infrastructure. There could be potential partnership with the private sector where they can say, let's raise that money uh, for you government and put that infrastructure in the village. And I think that's where we think there's a, there's a big upside uh, in getting, uh, 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 when we say private sector, it's also facilita facilitating uh, some sort of a long-dated uh, 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 patient fund allocation to such in, uh, a structure because what you're currently looking at uh, is that where there's a gap in terms of services, those must be provided by government. Uh, so in, in future, uh, with the NHI, that can change. So meaning that you are reducing the fiscal uh, 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 obligation uh, where they have to put out all that infrastructure. So currently there's still a, a, a big infrastructure gap in South Africa in terms of services where the, the communities are. So if we're going to leave that to government alone, you might find that they might take a bit longer uh, to be able to, uh, to raise that uh, funding to put up all the, the, the infrastructure. So I think we, we are looking at definitely in support of the NHI uh, obviously, uh, making sure that the, 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 the system is able to work. And for the system to work, the infrastructure is required. So if the infrastructure is not there, uh, that will mean that the service, service won't be available to everyone as the, uh, what we're trying to achieve here. Okay, thank you, Dion. Um, maybe let me quickly also go through some other questions. I know I'm cognizant of time. Um, before I let Kaya also answer some um, the NHI pilots currently, um, I mean, we have to be honest from our, from our point of view, we have not participated in any, um, which is uh, disappointing, but it is what it is. Um, and so our, our opinion is we don't know um, how successful they have been. Um, the, the contracting channels, they were not particularly transparent to us as to how we, 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 we engage in a more elaborate one. But also, I wouldn't want to point any fingers because we have been focused on our own build program. But we would like, perhaps the suggestion is, can the, the results of the current studies be you know, widely disseminated for everyone to, to, to learn from them? Um, I want to talk about the... Um, the OHS uh, 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 um, uh, supervision and the low percentage of qualifying assets. I think the quest probably the clarification is that the lower percentage of is mainly on the public sector, which is a point that the fund needs to address in a very uh, distinct way because uh, the the anticipation of this bill and health provision for the nation is a is a high expectation. 
um, and one would not want a disappointment when the service is not matching the intent. And um, to 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 just be frank to the honourables here, there is a lot of work to do on quality. So it may not be underestimated. And also, it need not start in 2026. It should start now. And currently, we are not um, uh, are seeing that move in anticipation. So I don't know whether the, the, the central planning is seeing that. We have personally offered, we currently already uh, support the public sector in, in, in designing facilities, but we do think there is more that can be uh, uh, done. Um, then I want to, uh, on uh, for Honorable Chair, I'm going to answer this one with a little bit of um, uh, uh, diplomacy. We are not elevating the right of um, of uh, users to the right of providing healthcare. What we are saying is, uh, can options be available? Uh, uh, um, should we wish? So I guess the issue there is uh, is limitation of rights. So I think we hold dear all rights, um, um, and we to the extent possible, try and make all rights uh, enshrined uh, in the citizenry whilst providing the service that's needed. I, I, I do think the, 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 the slight nuance is about what you cannot do and what you cannot do must be limited to the absolute necessity uh, to avoid the bill having... Um, Contestation, because I, I guess you don't want to stay in any contestation, and this is a, an important parameters. But I think we are probably aligned. Is just uh, the semantics of how we uh, articulated uh, articulated it. Kaya, you want to add a few more? I think we're nearly done with some of these questions. So, if uh, Kaya, then I'll clean up anything that's left. Kaya, is Kaya there? That's, that's to all of them, please. <laughs> if your members are not ready, continue with the responses. Okay. Uh, are you ready? Or let me just go. Um, um, yes, the, there's the question of uh, where in the section limits private sector. Now, I, I think, honorable members, I think it was asked twice. You are right. It does not explicitly say you are limited out, but there is there is express limit uh, restriction and then there is um, by design or constructive limitation now we all know private sectors are already accredited by the department of health um uh, and that is a yearly uh, 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 process now we are advocating let's not make that process defunct now because it is i mean uh, they, we don't see the necessity for uh, uh, for additional uh, workload given the intensity of what needs to be done to what is currently be done, doing. And also we probably saying that there needs to be another accreditation process implies that the current one is on the private sector is um, deficient. So I think where we are growing to say is can this be unionized? So what are we saying? From day one, probably if you're registered and you got a credited facility by the Department of Health, maybe there's an automatic graduation into the NHI. I would like to state to members that the 
process of registration should not be underestimated. It is a resource consuming. It is not automatic. Um, it is. It sometimes needs changes. It takes time. So uh, 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 expecting the whole facilities uh, from private sector to migrate efficiently may also have practical challenges. And we don't see the need why, if you already have a license, you're not already accredited, unless if there's a certain level that the fund is saying the the current product provision is not sufficient, in which case, let's deal with it. Um, This is just a suggestion uh, to reduce the workload that's, um the, the the fund needs to do um uh there was a question of uh ring fencing nhi funds um yes we are saying kind of a structure which is ring fence to the fund um and to the provision of medical services uh, I, I think it is the more efficient structure uh, and allows this fund to get to quickly to a point of uh, individual sustainability. I think the historical precedent hasn't been great of uh, uh, of uh, statutory funds uh, with the liability. I think we have the situation of RAF and um, uh, and the like, where ultimately there is an exclusion of provision of service for lack of efficiency. Uh, from other participants and we do not all we are saying here is they maybe need to make sure that the same pitfalls are not um uh, are not uh uh, uh 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 experienced then there is the issue of the undocumented migrants um uh, and uh, i think we did mention that there needs to be more uh, provision of if you do uh, 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 find yourself in the country there are some constitutional obligation that the state is given. There should be a mechanism for encroachment, which could be on a contribution basis or, or some other route. I think the, 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 the key there is um, South Africa needs to lead in terms of ability to provide for all under her cover and um, a little bit more uh, uh, optionality needs to be um uh, uh, provided provided for um then uh oh goodness i think i'm going to the end Q, yeah. i'll just i'll just jump in one there was a there was a question raised around the issue of 104 billion rands worth of medical legal case costs uh in terms of uh what's currently in in play and uh and how we foresee that uh being managed going forward um, it is a it's a it's a very delicate matter. Um, uh, there is there is obviously a a significant correlation between um, uh, the, the the stretch the, the the amount at which resources are stretched um, and the occurrence of of medical legal cases. Uh, I think with a coordinated and concerted effort between uh, all the role players in terms of lessening that burden on on certain facilities. Uh, we should, uh, according to the stats and according to case study, we should see a decrease in uh, um, in the amount of um, uh, negligent cases uh, being raised or medical legal cases being raised. Uh, it is something we need to um, uh, consider quite closely. Uh, it is a significant cost burden uh, on the system. 
and we need to look at uh, a number of, of different ways to mitigate same. Um, there's obviously operational changes and op operational safeguards and checks that can be implemented to mitigate same. Uh, I think the other aspect we need to look at is, is there a way in which the uh, financial burden of, of, of this can be mitigated as well um, and that, uh, that there, there are a number of avenues that can be explored but potentially uh, one that needs to be looked at and considered is a, a reinsurance model um, that uh, limits the size or scope of, uh, of some of these claims uh, from our financial impact on the fund perspective. Okay. Uh, Honorable Chair, we'll just close quickly in a minute. I'm just going to go through everything left of the question of Section 7 portability around the current provisions of portability to a non-creditable uh, facility. Um, uh, uh, we think they are fine, um, the, but the issue is not the ability to move there. The issue is for that non-credit to be able to claim to the fund. Again, our suggestion is that all medical facilities should start off uh, private, at least credited, because they're already inspected on a much more rigorous thing. And, and we don't want to increase the workload for the fund because there's a lot more things. And maybe the, the ongoing uh, monitoring can then exclude the ones that they don't want. Um, there was uh, the, the, the question about the three tier, and are we saying that they should be differential services by the NHI? No, we're not saying that. We're just saying that um, when there is the ability to provide differentiated service and you can pay for it, you can. So what, what really that point is coming is that we've already, as private sector, invested in differential services. For instance, I did mention that we have hospitals that have general wards and private wards and singular ward. So I guess what we're saying is that we mustn't overlook that the investment is already made and the, the picture should not be if you have invested in, in a private world, you've wasted your time and, you know, you can put it into, you know, you, you can't use it anymore. There needs to be this ability that uh, if you have the flexibility you, and the option, it needs to be utilized. The key thing which we are saying is that the facilities are the same. So we're not excluding, we're just saying that if you have the option uh, 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 it, it needs to be um, utilized. Then, Chair, you talked about the uh, 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 the limitation of access. I think the question there uh, was uh, more to the. Um, I wasn't. I think it was talking. It's it's really about um, uh, uh, the 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 beneficiary who would be having limited access to either by not, uh, I, I think I was, I, I'm not sure if I got the question whether because of uh, the the referral uh, or the referral right or the diagnosis has been mentioned that you are, has been concluded that you don't need the facility. I think our point here is the capitation model is a much better way to look than restricting the route of, of, um, of, uh, of care. So route of care is very subjective and capitation is more um, outcome-based. So for us, there should be that uh, optionality. If, if the fund wants to be as encompassing, maybe have both. Uh, but we do think if you, uh, you it, it takes a lot to police these rules. That's why the private sector makes 
administrators. It's a whole ecosystem. So one must also realize that the cost of policing, which uh, triage, which uh, right of care route uh, is not to be underestimated. And one would be better served policing outcomes. Did you go in there? Did you get the best service? Best outcome? Was it fixed? And the cost was within what the state had budgeted for. Tick. Uh, that's that's our our view. And then the issue around participation. I guess this is holistically. We are saying we think this is a partnership. Uh, I, I we want to over, especially from our side. We we see this as um, as uh, as an opportunity and the ability to engage with the. Uh, system should be um, easier. Of course, what uh, Honorable Ismail said about the the oversight and legal entities that are created, they should be more accessible. Uh, It might feel like a mute point, but um, there's a lot of problems accessing uh, certain uh, public sector functionalities um and 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 that would impede on development so all these entities said should have the best access possible to allow the 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 system to function the view is this is never going to start off perfectly and neither has anything in private or public so that allowing of the changes to come gradually is going to be the point of success i want to end there unless if i've forgotten any question I can be I can be referred to it as well. Thank you, Chair. There will not be any time, even if we do have. We'd like to thank you both. We have really overstayed our presentation with you, and uh, it has impacted on the program going forward. Uh, but uh, we'd like to thank you for coming in and engaging with this uh, committee that is processing the NHI. Uh, it may also be not the last time we call on you if we need to, but thank you very much. Uh, if there's any last comment from any one of you uh, for coming in to meet with us. Uh, we are good, Chair, my team. Anyone, thank you, Chair, for your time. And thank you, thank Honorable. You. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Members. Okay, thank you very much, Chair. Honourable members, you will notice that uh, we have a three-minute stretch as the Health Products Association of Southern Africa load their presentation. Uh, This is going to take us up to lunchtime. Uh, Please uh, bear with us as we take this presentation immediately after this one. So just at quarter to one, we'll start with that presentation. If they could start loading their presentation now. Thank you.
Okay, welcome to the Health Products Association of Southern Africa. We would like to uh, give you this space to interact with the Portfolio Committee of Health on your comments on the NHI bill, starting with your presentation for 45 minutes. And thereafter, the committee members will engage with you on your presentation and you'll come back again to comment or answer the questions. You will have 45 minutes starting from now. Thank you, Chair. Uh, can you hear me clearly? Yes, we can. Thank you. My line is a little unstable and I have tried to move to where it's a lot more stable. So hopefully you can hear me clearly. So thank you for that. We're just uh, going to put the presentation up, Chair. Um, my colleague, I've struggled, I think it's because of my bandwidth to put the, portfolio, uh, the presentation up, but my colleague is attempting to do so. So please just give us one minute, Chair, and we are good to go. Is it, um, uh, Lee, is it possible for us to have um, share screen um, uh, enabled, please? Has it been enabled? Thank you. There we go. Thank you, Janet. Okay, Chair, so this is the presentation um, that the Health Products Association of Southern Africa has put together for today's purposes. Uh, on the call, I'm the Vice Chair of the Health Products Association of Southern Africa. I'm Lee Gunkel-Kula. And on the call, we have members of the Health Products Association of Southern Africa, EXCO members, um, who will also contribute towards any Q&A uh, that may arise as part of the presentation. Next slide, please, Janet. Chair, on behalf of the HPA, uh, as we're commonly referred to, uh, Health Products Association of Southern Africa, our function really is to ensure that the wellness paradigm is not neglected or underplayed um, in any country or any market solution or any government solution as it pertains to um, relevant healthcare provision for its citizens. So as a preamble, Chair, we'd like to start off with the following slide uh, that talks to um, the depth and the breadth of the health space, that it is not just on the curative side, but also on the prevention side. And we really do see this as an opportunity under the auspices of the NHI, which the Health Products Association supports in principle, in terms of ensuring that every citizen and every person in South Africa has equitable access to universal healthcare coverage. I think that is, a, that is a principle and a philosophy that is underscored by the work we do as the HPA in terms of the wellness space and ensuring that people take care of themselves and are able to, from an access and equitable access perspective, as opposed to, um, you know, then becoming ill or sick and having to to take preventative or curative measures rather as part of that uh, process. So we play in the health supplements and functional foods fortification space and it's uh, defined to, to have minerals and vitamins which contribute to healthier citizens as and it also contributes to a stronger economy. Health supplements 
uh, are concentrates of important nutrients as vit such as vitamins and minerals, amino fat uh, amino and fatty acids, botanicals, and other substances with a nutritional or physiological effect. They are not meant to treat disease, but their role in reducing the risk factors associated with developing, uh, with developing several diseases, especially in some groups of the population, as recognized by the scientific community. Additionally, there's uh, overwhelming evidence that supports that primary prevention is far more efficient and resourceful than disease treatment and health supplements do a lot to offer in the promotion of a healthy lifestyle that reduces the risk of developing disease. The health supplement sector has an important role to play in countering the pressure of the South African healthcare system and can be a leading contributor to support the NHI's goal for, for healthier citizens through preventative healthcare as opposed to curative healthcare. This can be done through the reduction of diet-related risk factors for several diseases and by improving public health. The health supplement and functional food supplement sector is also an important contributor to the EU economy by generating economic growth and creating jobs. Reliable and evidence-based information, SA citizens are increasingly aware of the health impact of food products and are at the forefront of change through adjusting their diet and lifestyle in the pursuit of improved well-being. And this excerpt chair we've taken from the 2017 installment from Frost and Sullivan's report on, uh, on smart prevention. Now a little bit about the HPA so that we provide the right type of context. We are appreciative of the fact that we have the opportunity to comment and present to the uh, esteemed uh, Portfolio Committee on, for Health on the National Health Insurance Bill. So thank you for the opportunity. We, are, we have been serving South Africa's health interests since 1976, and we represent the interests of 105 companies uh, that play in the wellness space, and in so doing, represents the interests of the wellness paradigm, and, and we remain focused on the prevention rather than, cure, rather than cure mandate. As an outspoken voice of the wellness paradigm, the HPA is committed to developing and maintaining standards that support and foster the quality, safety and efficacy of natural health products, nutritional dietary supplements and complementary and alternative medicines known as CAMS. The association strives to work towards an ethical, credible, relevant, vibrant health products industry in South Africa. We play a crucial role in ensuring that the long-term sustainability of this market and works to provide a fertile environment for industry growth. To achieve this, the HPA has developed self-regulatory codes of good practice and standards and guides its members in the correct practices and procedures in this regard. Despite mounting global regulatory and economic pressures, the natural health products, nutritional dietary supplements and CAMs international market continues to expand and South Africa is no different. The HPA has decades of experience in this field and as one of the most well-respected wellness bodies in Southern Africa, it is per perfectly positioned to continue to play both a strategic and meaningful role in this regard. Now, when we talk about the wellness paradigm, you know, it's a very broad uh, uh, area and we need to categorically 
spell it out in terms of so what does it mean so when we speak about health and wellness or the health or the health paradigm there are certain things that underpin it and and similarly from a wellness paradigm perspective like I said in the beginning, as part of the preamble, we're focusing on prevention rather than cure. We don't make claims that we cannot back up. In fact, this market is known uh, um, uh, not to make high-risk claims. So basically, it's um, that those claims are limited to low-risk claims uh, and, and uh, can either sit in the food supplementation, health supplementation, or the CAMS uh, uh, complementary medicines mix. And uh, given how we are constructed from a wellness paradigm perspective, competition is healthy and rife. And um, when one does that and makes the right investments, then uh, with the competition being healthy and rife, it means that products become a lot more affordable. So ease of access uh, is also very important. You find us on every shelf shop, on every shop shelf rather in the retail space so your discams your clicks your pharmacies uh, etc your shop rights and pick and pays but then we also have this opportunity through the online uh, uh, platform or channel as well as direct selling options we also have uh, a plethora of health shops that make the right types of investments as it relates to these types of wellness products so from an access perspective, there's ease of access and availability of product um, through the wellness paradigm channels. There are different uh, categories of CAMs and we've listed what those are just so that we have a, a broader definition of what this entails from a wellness paradigm perspective, from African traditional medicines to Ayurvedic to Chinese medicine, nutraceuticals now known as CAMs, uh, unani tub medicines, etc. So the list is, ex is, is exhaustive. And uh, these are the categories that actually play within the wellness paradigm. Now, the question we're asking is, so what does this mean for a, nat for a, a national health insurance opportunity, uh, universal healthcare coverage? Uh, and we are concerned and are raising uh, our concern as relates to the focus of NHI. Uh, should the focus um, be centered on wellness or prevention or a combination of both? And essentially, and if that's the case, and we think the latter is the case, what does it mean? What role will the wellness paradigm, the wellness industry play in the provision uh, and in support of a national health insurance uh, or universal healthcare coverage. Next slide, please, Janet. Chair, we've taken the opportunity to kind of demonstrate this in real terms. So here we have an example uh, of the Cooler Natural Health Center. Uh, it's based in, in, uh, in St. Lucia in rural KwaZulu-Natal. Uh, it's run by a group of homeopaths in rural KwaZulu-Natal, and it is well supported by the local community. And homeopathy is part of that wellness paradigm and construct. Next slide, please, Janet. So a little more detail about the, the cooler example is that this is how complementary medicine, in this case, homeopathy, significantly benefits the rural community in KwaZulu-Natal. The, the clinic is close to St. Lucia and has treated about 8,500 new and follow-up patients since its uh, launch there in 2017. So it's just under four years old. The clinic is staffed by a few full-time qualified homeopath doctors 
who are ably assisted by a number of students and interns from the University of Johannesburg and the Technical University of KwaZulu-Natal that provide superb training for these people as well as a service to the local community. The value it is brought to the local community is extensive and massive. The homeopath medicines used are extremely cost-effective. Cooler is a perfect example of how wellness can be effectively brought into, uh, brought to members of the public uh, at a lower financial end of the spectrum. It is also typically a way in which many more thousands of people could rapidly benefit via NHI as an example. And could you imagine if from a wellness paradigm uh, perspective uh, and an opportunity to support NHI, uh, we have clinics like this set up all over uh, um, the far-flung parts of our country because we do and are concerned and remain concerned about, you know, how then do we ensure equitable access if most of what is found in the constructed market for uh, uh, healthcare provision is found in peri-urban or urban settings and uh, not so much in, in, in rural uh, settings like the cooler example demonstrates. Next slide, please, Janet. Now we do know and understand as the HPA what the bill seeks to achieve and we have no issues around you know, the intent of the bill and what it does. Again, underpinning that, you know, we do support uh, the equitable access of universal health care for each and every citizen of the country. Um, the question is, how do we ensure that this happens in a way that meets the expectations of every citizen, whether you are rich or whether you are not so rich? Next slide, please, Janet. So we come into the fray in terms of our, on the basis of our primary concern, because at, at some point, you know, from a wellness paradigm perspective, we do find ourselves uh, uh, sitting within the health related products definition. Uh, and we've identified ourselves to play in this space. So we do know that this means from a definition standpoint, it's any commodity other than orthodox medicine, complementary medicine, uh, veterinary medicine, medical device or scheduled substance, which is produced by human effort or some mechanical, uh, uh, electrical, other human engineering process for medicinal purposes or other preventative, curative, therapeutic or diagnostic purposes in connection with human health. Now, we do say that we do understand that this says other than complementary medicines, but complementary medicine is only one part of it. There's a whole other part of the wellness paradigm that is not covered necessarily by complementary medicines. And so would sit, in our view, um, under the health-related product category. And from that perspective, us coming to want to present to you, uh, esteemed colleagues today, as on that, as on that broader definition of, of the wellness paradigm and the place it, 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 uh, it may uh, reside in as it relates to the initial rollout of NHI and any future phases um, of NHI over time to come. So we asking the question about, about the role of, of the wellness paradigm or the wellness space in support of universal healthcare coverage. Next slide, please, Janet. So here with Chair and esteemed colleagues, our concerns. We are concerned about the muted role of wellness as it's currently reflected in the NHI bill. We understand and appreciate the need for equitable access and that again, we support. However, what is not apparent or defined within the bill is the role of wellness as it relates to national health insurance. And we are of the view that the key focus and narrative should be how to remain healthy with the focus on wellness as opposed to the focus on medi med uh, medical treatment 
uh, and, and curation or curative uh, from that perspective. So with the focus on wellness, I think that will also give uh, universal healthcare coverage the legs it requires uh, in order to ensure that more and more South Africans uh, take responsibility for their own health and wellness or it's supported in taking responsibility for, for their health and wellness before taking that, in, that next step to want to need to go to, into a primary healthcare facility or a secondary or quaternary or tertiary healthcare facility um, as part of the referral map and pathways for, for treatment. Companies within the wellness space ought to be incentivized in some way for the role they play in this regard and notwithstanding this we welcome the focus on primary health care with the referral system in order to access relevant health care services. Point number two of our concerns shares the role of healthcare private sector providers because we do sit in the private sector uh, as the HPA and its members of 105 members that we represent. The HPA remains concerned that the private sector will be assigned a role within the complementary services sphere. Uh, we'd like some additional clarity on this, Chair. What does this mean? What role will they, uh, uh, you know, what, were, what role will the private sector in the event play? And additionally, we have concerns around the distribution of medicines as well as the procurement, uh, um, the prohibition of rebates, bonuses, and incentives, because this, in many ways, if we bring it back to the CAMS component of health and wellness, is becomes the lifeblood of, of the CAMS industry. The tax burden. The HPA is concerned that taxing South Africans would not be affordable, uh, would not be able to afford or pay for additional tax in the form of NHI, neither could companies via company taxes. Now, we don't know where that money will come from and how we're going to ensure that uh, um, uh, money isn't made available uh, in order to, to sustain the ambitions of the NHI. And today we're also seeking clarity, Chair, in terms of your thinking on that. We are also concerned about how and how far taxation will go if employees are taxed, if citizens are taxed, if companies are taxed, how far will that go? And given the fact that we are sitting also now um, consequently at the height of the pandemic, people are losing their jobs, incomes are being lost, two household incomes are now becoming one household income or zero household uh, in terms of income. What does it mean to the to the South African citizen who is in who desperately needs access to universal health care and in theory and in principle supports the need and advent for NHI? But the financing part and the funding part of this is a is a huge concern from a taxpayer perspective. Next slide, please. As it relates to medicines. Certain uh, 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 health supplements have now been deemed to be complementary medicines. Uh, we've gone through a South African health uh, products regulatory authority process through SAPRA that has identified that a, a category D is where the CAMS products will reside. So it's a subsection of medicines, which is category A. So from a CAMS perspective, and remember some of our members play in the CAMS space, as part of the wellness paradigm, is our concern around single, as a single exit pricing, which will now impact 
these uh, uh, potentially impact the category D medicines at an SEP uh, level. That is a concern for us. The model that underpins uh, our members and how they play in both the wellness paradigm space or in the complementary medicine space as part of that paradigm as a constructed model built up uh, without SEP in mind. So the fact that we've now, through SAPRA, uh, are having to register certain components of the wellness paradigm as CAMS products does present a major hurdle and challenge to our members who are sitting uh, currently uh, in the wellness paradigm space. And we need to raise this as a concern. Uh, similarly, if these medicines are now um, procured through the NHI process, then SEP becomes a reality um, that is attached to the NHI process for universal healthcare coverage and thereby impacting the wellness paradigm and players within the wellness paradigm who play in the CAM space. As industry, we cannot afford this chair. The majority of our members fall into small and medium-sized categories of business within the complementary medicines industry or space and the anticipated increase in costs to implement SCP on, on products <clears throat> will, will negatively impact them. If this decision is, uh, goes ahead, it would severely and negatively impact the CAMS industry uh, in South Africa and I can assure you that the majority of our 100 of our current 105 members are small and medium-sized um, uh, business owners entrepreneurs playing in the health and wellness space that can ill afford for this to happen from a time frames perspective chair and I caught the tail end of the last presentation there was a a, a, um, a question or a comment raised around the pilot and how that's going and we would also welcome that type of uh, feedback because it Anything to enhance uh, our current uh, situation as it relates to where are we currently with the pilots will bear credence and, 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 and um, support, you know, what's to come from a fully fledged NHI rollout uh, by 2026. So we have the views, the HPA uh, and of the opinion that the various milestones of the NHI need to be executed in a phased manner um, so that there isn't just one day go live uh, where we now say we've now reached X date in 2026 and uh, we now have the system, but more of a phased in approach to universal healthcare coverage and which then also becomes a lot more inclusive of other stakeholders and players within the health and wellness space to contribute positively um, to, to uh, the outcomes of and the objectives of universal healthcare coverage under the ban of NHI. Next slide, please, Janet. We have the view that clause 33, which deals with the medical scheme, the role of the medical schemes. Uh, in terms of this clause, medical schemes registered in terms of the Medical Schemes Act of 1998 or any other voluntary of uh, health insurance scheme shall be restricted to providing complementary cover for healthcare services and benefits uh, that are not purchased by the fund on behalf of users. Now, we've taken that directly from the bill. Uh, and as the HPA, we are the view that section or clause 33 of the bill needs to be omitted as it pertains to once fully implemented, the role of the private sector then becomes complementary. We do see this more of a uh, collaboration or partnership as opposed to, you know, um, uh, this purely and solely run by, by the government. Uh, in order to bring universal healthcare to fruition in an effective manner, we require the, ro the uh, uh, proactive role of the private sector to support 
um, what government is trying to achieve. So we just need a, a better understanding, Chair, through you in terms of uh, what is this complementary role? Can it be better defined so that we, can, uh, as industry, can also understand what this means? We, we require this uh, uh, clarity because it does, uh, in time to come in the long, currently and also into the future, have an impact on our future investments as business people, entrepreneurs, uh, private sector players playing in the space, uh, as well as strategic planning uh, as it pertains to future investments, etc. From a governance standpoint, uh, we note with concern that, uh, or we would like to rather suggest and propose that Parliament should have or play an oversight role as it relates to uh, the management of the NHI fund. Uh, like done with other Chapter 9 institutions, we, we think that this is the way to ensure the integrity of the governance framework and to hold the, the relevant ministry to account, which is in this case the Ministry of Health. We are concerned that the Ministry of Health um, has uh, extensive powers um, uh, and should the Chapter 9 route be something that is considered, we feel that, that would cover our concern in that regard. As it relates to other uh, levels of acts or other acts impacted by the go live of universal healthcare coverage or NHI, we have the view that if there are any acts to be repealed and or amended um, in terms of uh, the in terms of this process, that they too undergo a robust legislative process like done with the NHI bill. Uh, and it should not be an, aut an, an automatic that relevant acts like the Medical Schemes Act of 1998, the Correctional Services Act, the Compensate the Road Accident Fund, etc., all impacted simultaneously in this way. So there should be an opportunity to take those uh, processes through the, 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 the correct legislative process um, in order to support the outcomes of the NHI. Next slide, please, Janet. Chair, in conclusion, we are we are appreciative of the opportunity to comment and present to you as the honourable uh, chair of this is of this esteemed committee. We are supportive and remain supportive of achieving universal healthcare coverage for all South Africans and most notably look to its member companies in the health and wellness space to play a meaningful role in this regard. Given the bill's significance, we look forward to all relevant comments and views being taken into account as part of this parliamentary process. And again, thank you for your time. We are of the opinion that the attainment of universal healthcare coverage cannot be left to government alone. And as the private sector, we have a role to play, especially as the wellness paradigm that we represent. Uh, and we, as the HPA, welcome constructive dialogue and engagement on this very significant bill. We are of the view that given that there are so many question marks around the how-to that either clarification is provided as part of these processes or an additional round of, of the bill is, uh, is, is, is made public so that we can comment on a final round of the bill before this process is finalized. And we are of the opinion that it needs to be appreciated that as complementary uh, medicines or CAMs um, have been listed as part of the health related products and that our voice therefore needs to be heard on the CAMS component. But outside of CAMS chair, like I tried to explain earlier, the wellness paradigm is so much broader as it relates to, 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 you know, what is possible under that paradigm. And in so doing, all we're asking for is for an opportunity to support the work of this committee, support uh, the objectives of universal healthcare coverage by ensuring that wellness is not forgotten as part of being part of the solution uh, as part of the universal healthcare coverage opportunity. 
And therefore, given the fact that we are a subset of medicines as CAMs now, and not medicines per se as, as part of category A's, that you cannot then therefore say, because you are a CAM, uh, you're going to be subjected to uh, the same uh, terms, conditions, uh, and obligations as uh, the pharmaceutical sector, because we are not pharmaceuticals, Chair. Uh, we sit within CAMs and we sit within wellness as part of that paradigm. So I hope that I haven't um, gone over time. In conclusion, this is our presentation. And again, we're here to ensure that the voice of the wellness paradigm is not forgotten as we start the process of embarking on universal healthcare coverage for all citizens in this country with the right focus on wellness and prevention as opposed to curative and treatment. Uh, we, we would have gone a long way to ensure that the health of our nation is at the forefront uh, of, of what, we, what we're aiming to achieve. Thank you once again, Chen, esteemed committee, for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you to the presenters. Uh, we'll now give an opportunity to the, our members uh, to ask questions. I haven't seen uh, okay, I see only a hand of uh, okay, the following members would correct me if I've missed any. The first hand that I saw coming up was that of Honorable Keller, followed by Honorable Sokacha, Honorable Ismail, and Honorable Munyai so far. In that order, any other uh, member would like to engage? Uh, it's Honorable Kela, followed by Honorable Sokacha, Honorable Ismail, and Honorable Munai in that order. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. Let me first welcome the presentation from HPA. Uh, I've got a number of questions that I want to ask. Uh, the presenter have mentioned a concern about wellness, not... Uh, defined in the bill. Are you aware that NHI will cover a comprehensive set of health services that will provide a continuum of care from community outreach, health promotion and prevention to other levels of care as indicated in section 57, uh, section three and section four of the bill? These benefits will be uh, defined by the uh, Benefits Advisory uh, Committee as outlined in the Section 25 of the Bill. Is your concern addressed? Uh, my second question, you have raised issues about the lack of clarity on uh, complementary health services. Do you not uh, think as, uh, as the benefit a advisory committee defines the NHI package of services according to their rules as defined by Section 25 of the bill. It will be clear uh, that uh, complementary services will be. This section is supported by Section 6 and Clause 33 deals with the future role of medical uh, schemes. My third question, uh, regarding your concern about the tax uh, burden, is it not addressed by section 49 two, 
as it is a majority of medical scheme numbers uh, i mean members uh, cannot afford to pay their premiums uh, the cost of private health care is extremely unaffordable uh, this was noted by the hmi what is your view on this on that my last question chairperson uh, uh, to the presenter, you have highlighted a series of issues on the single exit uh, price. Section 38.3 outlines the role of the Office of the Health uh, Product uh, Procurement, which, amongst other things, will address your concern. Uh, the Healthcare Benefit uh, Pricing Committee, as prescribed by Section 26 of the bill, will also have a role in addressing your issue with this information. Are you still concerned? That will be uh, those questions from my side. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. I've got only one question. Um, uh, What mechanisms does your industry put in place to measure healthcare outcomes and how is evidence collected to explain the rationale for using your health products? Thank you very much, Chairperson. Um, Good afternoon and thank you for the presentation. My first question, you mentioned that the bill could lower the level of care available to the majority. Now, can you be a bit more specific in what ways will this lower care? My second question, are you saying that the bill is at current, as it currently stands could indeed have opposite effects to what it is intended for? My third question, where would you like wellness to fit in the bill? My fourth question, what do you feel should be more specified where the private sector fits in or provided for in the bill? My fourth question, in what ways will the NHI impact investment? And my last question, you know, or rather uh, just a a remark, thank you for your response on the governance and your view on the bill giving the minister the right to establish the board and related entities. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. My first question is as as follows, Honorable Chair. The presenter have made a recommendation about the phase-in implementation of the NHI. Uh, don't they think, or do you think the face-in approach is not sufficiently addressed in the Section 57 of the bill and in clarification provided in in the memorandum of on the objects of the of the NHI bill itself? The second one, Honourable Chair, will be as follows: Your concern about Section 33 has this matter not? address, sufficiently address or address in the NHI white paper, which needs to be read together with the, with the, with the NHI bill. The white paper state that, state that as part of the transition process, uh, medical schemes will play a supplementary role. Only once the NHI is fully implemented, medical schemes will offer complementary cover. That is the uh, the last question that I've uh, that I've raised. 
Member, I'm leaving out. Who would like to ask a question? Okay. If not, uh, I just have some three questions to ask. You will pardon me. Um, we just want to check. Uh, we just want to check with the proposal of your wellness program. If you don't think that, uh, uh, if you are actually advocating for the wellness program to be included included in this act uh, maybe if you could just expand specifically uh, and actually outline that in what way would that would you want to see that happening now currently uh, the medical schemes uh, reimburse for the products of the services delivered to the stakeholders uh, if so, how are these benefits determined in the current phase? Uh, I notice going forward, you will then indicate differently. Now, uh, if then you are actually in this wellness program paradigm that you're advocating, uh, would you have any uh, concerns with the regulation of the industry uh, going forward? Because uh, uh, it has actually is an industry that uh, uh, is, uh, in fact, probably you'll indicate how is it regulated to start with, uh, if it is, and uh, if you would favor that going forward. Uh, let me just check if I do have another one that uh, I wrote in another piece of paper. Uh, maybe for now, you could just assist us in then uh, in answering those ones. Let me, let me just check this last one that I wrote somewhere else. Uh, see, I have a lot of papers, so I write differently. Okay, then maybe you can answer those. If there are any other matters that are coming up, we'll come back again. Thanks. Thank you, Chair. I have tried to take down as many of the questions uh, as they were coming, so please bear with me. I also have my team with me here um, to support us um, in answering your questions. I will certainly take the first one by the esteemed colleague um, in terms of, uh, I think there were four questions around wellness, uh, the cost and funding mechanism, as well as SEP. Uh, all we are saying, ma'am, is that, you know, well, there's an opportunity to look beyond the CAMS and that provision has been already cited under the, under the definition of health products, health related products as an opportunity to expand the category as we know it to be as a system of care, health care in South Africa. So becoming aware of the other paradigm, the other wellness contributors to the wellness paradigm like homeopathy, um, um, African traditional medicine and, and everything else needs to be looked at as an opportunity in time to come. So all we are asking for is for more inclusion uh, in terms of our current wellness understanding and, para and, uh, and um, programs and what we could possibly add to it in time to come to make it more relevant um, um, to, to the country as well. So that's all you're saying and purporting there uh, in terms of pushing the wellness paradigm holistically for South Africa. Um, we are aware of what is cited currently in the bill and we're saying notwithstanding that um, there, are diff there are other opportunities to improve upon that uh, as part of the opportunity presented for universal healthcare coverage. As it relates to 
the cost and funding, it is just purely a concern. I, I agree with you that medical aid rates are exorbitant and are ill-affordable. Um, but at the same token, you know, there are many uh, different ways that um, currently citizens pay for some level of insurance. It might be a medic through a medical aid or it might be through a hospital plan. They're currently paying for something and that is a sliding scale. And it's an extensive sliding scale in terms of, you know, the top end medical aids uh, versus you know, what one could pay at a, at a hospital plan level. And all we are saying is that there's clearly going to be a cost associated to, um, to funding uh, NHI. And given where we currently find ourselves, where people are um, uh, unemployed, losing jobs, because of where we find ourselves also with the pandemic, it is something that we, um, as a responsible uh, association, are raising uh, as, a, as a concern. As it relates to SCP, uh, your point is noted on SCP. We were purely raising it in the context of uh, the CAMS products registered through SARPA currently, and uh, the fact that these products are now classified as medicines and therefore um, fall under the banner of SCP. And given the current construct of the wellness market, uh, it becomes very difficult and sometimes even ill-affordable for, for, our, for our member companies to, to, to go through an SCP process because their products or a certain part of their products are now categorized as medicine and not as a food supplement or a health supplement or a dietary supplement uh, into the future. I'm going to hand over to Maria, Janet, and my other colleagues on the call. Um, there was a, a, a very interesting question and a very worthwhile question as it related to healthcare um, uh, health outcomes and how this industry, the wellness paradigm, um, surveys the market from a health outcomes perspective. Um, so, Maria, Janet, over to you. Thank you, Lee, and thank you, Honourable Chair and Honourable Members of the Portfolio Committee on Health. So I will comment quickly on the um, wellness paradigm and the preventative health care and how uh, food supplements or health supplements or dietary supplements, as they are often called uh, or named in various parts of the world, are part of a global trend um, which is backed by science in an in a increasing um, valuable sector of good health lifestyle practices adopted by many citizens of South Africa and the world in order to keep health, their personal health care uh, costs down and to live more healthily. It's become a, an entrenched understanding that you can actually take good care of your own health, take responsibility for your health. And um, this, is, this information and this knowledge has come to the forefront through, of course, um, you know, the growth of the internet and, um, and the increasing focus on wellness as, as a very broad spectrum of not only supplementation, but also perhaps other lifestyle adaptation like the correct diet, um, stress management, um, personal growth, etc. But in terms of how can we substantiate that supplementation does indeed contribute 
to preventative health care and to good health. Uh, we can rely on scientific data that has been put together by the Council for Responsible Nutrition, uh, which is a US and a European-based organization um, who take great interest in ensuring um, the scientific and the practical adaptation of um, supplementation for a global population, which includes South Africa. So recently, um, the Council for Responsible Nutrition undertook a study through an independent um, organization called Frost and Sullivan, and they measured health costing, health cost savings through various supplementations, such as calcium and vitamin D food supplements in the European Union as a focused area where 500 million people live. And for example, they established um, when they explored the burden of osteoporosis attributed bone fracture in the European Union and the benefits of calcium and vitamin D food supplements and how that actually um, prevented uh, the development or the progression of such um, what would normally be in the end a, a life-changing disease. They did likewise um, explored the phytosterol uh, food supplements in the European Union, where they looked at um, products which are botanicals, or berberine, uh, St. John's wort, all these ancient um, herbal medicines, which are also widely available in South Africa, and what you call phytosterol food supplements, and how they were demonstrated to reduce LDH cholesterol in a very significant way, contributing to enormous health-saving costs, remembering that the European Union um, has adapted a national health um, system in every country. And because the national health um, systems in each of those countries in the European Union are heavily burdened um, by, um, you know, people who are increasingly living older and are sicker, um, they absolutely supported this research. So there was further research on the economic implications of, of managing cardiovascular disease through targeted enhanced nutrition, um, through the inclusion of, for example, omega-3s um, and DHA supplementation. And um, of course, all of this data we can provide to you. The same thing happened because one of the things that has um, become very age-related is macular degeneration, which is, which is attributed to vision impairment and how the benefits of lutein and zeanthin supplementation in, uh, prevented that, helped to retard the progression of such a disease. Um, and there are many more examples of this. We are very happy to um, submit this data and these many, many uh, reports to um, the, you know, to the esteemed committee. So the summary that I have from my side is to say that all of these supplements are not um, patented um, chemicals synthesized in a laboratory um, targeted at a disease such as cancer. You know, so we are not, an, we, by and large, we do not have oncology drugs or statins in our portfolios. What we have instead 
um, are vitamin C extracts, vitamin E, vitamin D, vitamin K, uh, different amino acids, uh, fatty acids, the omegas are increasingly shown worldwide to contribute to better health and to be part of preventative health care. Many South Africans, myself included, have taken the decision to, um, ad to adapt a healthy lifestyle to keep the medical aid costs down, to ensure that perhaps we only have a hospital plan because that's what we can afford and everything else we, we focus on preventative health care, whether it's through you know, vitamin supplementation, amino acid supplementation, whether it's through Ayurvedic um, medicine, uh, complementary of traditional medicine, whether it's through African traditional medicine, and remembering that in terms of African traditional medicine, um, we have estimates that up to 80% of South Africans um, look for African traditional medicine for their primary health care needs. Um, and, you know, whether it's Chinese traditional medicine or aromatherapy, we may choose to, to have a blend of aromatherapy oil to combat stress um, or to relieve a headache um, or, you know, to keep generally um, lower levels of cortisol um, to ensure that we are healthier and so on. So all of these supplements uh, play within a free market system. They do not have patents. Um, by the very virtue of the fact that there are very, vitamin C is, um, you know, um, an ingredient from nature um, and, and anyone can access it, it automatically keeps the price of such um, vitamins low because you do not, nobody has a cartel on pricing. Um, you know, one can use, um, you know, extract vitamin C from guavas or um, oranges or Nachis. Um, and so the point I'm making here is that these supplements have become a real a reality in um, globally and in South Africa. The, um, in South Africa, the direct um, uh, market, there's direct selling companies that have empowered millions of South Africans to raise consciousness of their good health, about what is good health, um, how to eat properly, um, how to supplement correctly and wisely for better immunity, uh, for better overall wellness. So that's me from my side. I'm going to hand over to my scientific colleagues um, and, um, and other, other colleagues that have speciality in this segment. So Janet, can I hand over to you as a starting point? Absolutely. I think uh, the two questions that, uh, that I'd like to, to possibly just address is the first one was expand on the wellness program uh, and the way that you think this could happen. Um, I, I think that that is a pretty extensive um, uh, question um, and, and can't be answered in, in a short period of time. But what I would like to, to suggest is that the HPA is able and has the expertise to add real value um, in the expansion of such a wellness program and how it could integrate into the NHI. Um, and we would very much um, uh, like to uh, uh, um, afford ourselves to, to having further dialogue in this regard, most definitely. Um, the second question that I, I, I would like to address was the one that said, uh, are there any concerns with the current regulation of this industry? 
Um, and uh, I would like to say most definitely there is a concern with regard to the current regulation of this industry in the context that um, uh, the definition of a medicine has now included what is broadly known in South Africa as complementary medicine, which covers uh, a fair number of these particular products, including health supplements, um, which in the rest of the world are seen um, as uh, food supplements um, and in South Africa are deemed as medicines. Um, and as such, uh, all of the allopathic medicine requirements are now being put on um, uh, as a requirement for these particular products. And as such, um, it is starting to influence their availability, accessibility to the consumer or the patient, uh, to, the, to the, the, the general man on the street. Um, and certainly it is something that we have grave concern on and can um, certainly give you some further insights with much detail relating to, to those particular concerns. Thank you. Honorable Munai has requested to do a follow-up. Uh, is there any other member who wants to have a follow-up question? Uh, before I start with the Honorable Munyai. Okay, if none, Honorable Munyai, you are having a platform now. Thank you very much indeed, Honorable Chair. The follow-up that I want to put forward is that uh, are your members uh, prescribers of the products, of these products, and how will an ordinary person uh, uh, diagnose uh, these conditions? That's the first. Or are you, are, uh, are you recommending that all South Africans must consume this product as a, a prophylaxis and prevention? How do you propose NHI should pay for this product? Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Uh, you can answer. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Lee, would you like to uh, respond here? No, Maria, you can go ahead. I can support you. All right. Thank you. So the reality is that our that in South Africa, there are many, many people with malnutrition, suffering from malnutrition, and that there aren't sufficient vitamins in the food chain um, to sustain good health. So the HPA is extremely supportive of a, 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 of a plan going forward where we assist with supplementing um, the millions of South Africans who are malnourished. And how we do that is, is a journey that we need to do together. I know that recently, or, or about a year ago, um, when I did a presentation in Johannesburg and we had some government officials on board, uh, we wanted to explore how um, we could assist, um, you know, South Africans uh, with supplementation and whether that would be through food fortification by adding, you know, certain vitamins to the staple um, uh, uh, products that uh, people eat uh, whether we encourage people to eat better, but that's very difficult um, when you may be restrained, have economic restraints. So we do see in the future a partnership where we can certainly 
um, assist government um, and the NHI initiatives towards uh, good health and wellness. Um, on, on the outside of that is the many, many people who um, are more fortunate um, to be able to afford supplementation who already um, heavy, rely heavily on this sector for good health. So they're already, um, you know, uh, providing their families with, um, you know, at least essential vitamins um, in, in supplementation form in order to stay healthy, in order to avoid high healthcare costs. Um, and how do you understand you can do that? So as I initially said, uh, when you compare the, the on a global scale where the information, the ability to have information at your fingertips um, becomes a reality and that enables you to make informed choice. In South Africa, we have millions of people who are not able to uh, readily understand or access that information. And this is where many of the direct selling companies in South Africa have initiated training um, uh, levels and training courses um, to um, educate people about supplementation and how that improves their health. Um, so that's not on education. So what I'm trying to sum up to say here is that we need collaboration with government uh, policies that enable the industry to unlock its potential for the good health of, of um, the people of South Africa, how we educate and how we uplift that understanding. And then how do we, how do we um, analyze or identify if people have nutrient deficiencies um, and, and which, which healthcare sector helps with that. And again, in South Africa, we have the Allied Health Professions Council of South Africa, where we have the likes of um, Ayurvedic practitioners, homeo homeopathic practitioners, uh, Chinese traditional medicine practitioners, um, uh, nutritionists that um, are able to uh, be pa become part of that journey. So um, it's a collaboration. It's going to be like, you know, we have to be, be part of the policy um, planning going forward. There is a, a huge opportunity. Uh, we can become the vitamin angels of South Africa as an industry. Um, and uh, we can certainly be part of the journey towards overall good health and wellness. Um, and as I said before, because we do not have patented um, ingredients of any kind, um, our, our market is very much sustained within a, a free market system of uh, which nutrients you get at uh, which price. So I trust that provides some insight. I think Janet and, and Steve, you may have some um, input here as well from a, a, both a practical and a global perspective. Um, thanks, Maria. I'm not sure if I'm coming through. Can I be heard? Yes, it's I can very, hear you. are very soft, Steve, but we can hear you. Okay, how's that sounding? Much better. Okay, I'll just turn my volume up. Um, yeah, as one of the members of the HPA as a company uh, and an international manufacturer, um, we 
view things on a global perspective. Um, there's absolutely no doubt that uh, complementary products are very necessary to assisting the general population to remain healthy uh, without burdening the state. Um, however, where we find ourselves, CAMS at the moment, within the South African health system is somewhat tenuous. Um, basically, as a product range, we're known as health supplements in virtually every country in the world, treated as food. Here we are becoming um, more and more regulated uh, and harder to manufacture and um, make freely available to the public by being termed as medicines. This is something that within the industry we are and have been for many years uh, engaging with SAPRA to try to get very clear uh, our position. But I think the, the point we make is that um, as an industry, uh, we can do, we can go a long way to assisting South Africans uh, of all socioeconomic levels to remain more healthy than they are today, uh, to be more prepared for uh, global pandemics or any other sort of uh, uh, chronic illnesses that, uh, that prevail, um, and at very little cost when compared to becoming uh, chronically or acutely ill and having to then enter the orthodox um, uh, treatment process, uh, which weighs heavily on, on the state. Uh, so uh, I think probably that's about all I can add, that here in South Africa we're tending to go, uh, be pushed into a far more pharmaceutical paradigm, which uh, is moving away from the rest of the world, and, uh, and, it, and it will be harder for us to play a meaningful role in the, uh, in the health and support of, uh, of South Africans' um, uh, wellness uh, if, if we continue moving in that direction. But uh, we are more than happy to be involved because I believe we have so much to offer. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. And um, um, Christelle, would you be able to say anything here or, or Janet, any further input, please? I wasn't expecting to have to speak to the Parliamentary Health Portfolio <laughs> Committee. Thank you. Thank you for your uh, input, uh, Steve. Much appreciated. Um, um, from, from my side, I think that um, uh, everything has been answered, so I, I'm fine. Thank you. Wonderful. Okay, I think from our side, Honourable Chair and uh, the uh, Honourable and esteemed um, Portfolio Committee on Health, this is our submission. Um, I think it's a starting point. I think there's a, a, a lot more we can do together going forward um, to ensure good health and wellness to all South Africans. And we are um, ready to provide you with whatever data you may need um, and further insights that you may require to ensure that. Thank you very much for your time and for accommodating our presentation today. Okay. 
we appreciate your contribution and your comments. Uh, we will incorporate that in our planning uh, and refining this bill. Uh, we appreciate you. Some of us didn't know about your organization and what you do. Now we are better uh, understanding where you come from. Uh, thank you very much. We will then bring this meeting to a close, honorable members. Uh, just to give you an, an, another notice that honorable members at five to five, can we then log in again? And I'm sure Ms. Majalamba, Ms. Majalamba, is it the same uh, arrangements to log in or it will be a different one at five, at five to five? Yes, Chair, we'll use the same login details. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, okay, honorable members, we have a break for lunch and the other activities. Please log back at five to five when we meet with the Minister of Health, Acting Minister of Health and her team. Thank you very much. And the leadership from the health products, uh, uh, you are released and have a good afternoon. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Malbongo. Ukatel and Diaguva. I'm very tired, Chair. I don't know. I had two meetings, this one and uh, the, the, another meeting, and I'm going to do my assignment now. No rest. And Shame. again, five o'clock, no rest. Shame. Hey. hey. Recording stopped. Thanks, sir. Thanks, and for two.
Recording in pro recording stop. Recording in progress. Recording stopped. Recording in progress. Recording stopped.